Hello and welcome to System Mastery episode 1 fucking 120 fucking 5. Today's episode is dedicated, as every 25th episode is, to the old gray lady of role-playing games, Queen Elizabeth II. Wait, no, that doesn't sound right. It's dedicated to that most central of institutions to nerd life, rampant misogyn... No, hold on. That is also a problem. Actually, for our five-year anniversary, we're tackling something everyone's wanted us to do from the beginning. Big gay kisses between the two of us. Lots of them. I don't know why everyone wants that so bad. I'm kidding. It's fourth edition D&D, so that means it's time for the World of Warcraft for Babies Spectacular on System Mastery. Welcome back. I'm Jeff, joined as always by my co-host, John. John, it's been five years. Get out. <laughs> get out of my room. Get, finally, for <laughs> once, get out. Please. You know, originally, I, I planned, when I, when I started this network, as as I did, it was ah. me. Uh, when, I, when I started when I system- built this network from the ground up. <laughs> and all I wanted from you was pictures. Pictures of Spider-Man. I'm really glad you said that, because I was about to. <laughs> When I started this network, this system mastery thing, you were supposed to be my first guest host, and it's been impossible to get rid of you ever since. Yeah, well, you know, I'm like a little barnacle. (laughs) Barnacles are already little. You're like a huge barnacle. I'm like a very large little barnacle. (laughs) Hi there, I'm Huge Little Barnacle. (laughs) That's my rap name. I'm Huge Little Barnacle. (laughs) I'm mostly two sea shanties. (laughs) Uh, sea shanties and tongue twisters, and I'm not good at either. <laughs> That's me. I'm bad at the rap game. <laughs> I started at the bottom, and that's where I remain. <laughs> and that's good. <laughs> that's a good place for me to have started. That's that's good. I should be there. <laughs> uh, I was born on third, and I still am at third. <laughs> I was born on third, but then I went back to second for some reason. <laughs> Coach yelled at me. I don't know. Actually, I don't know what the baseball rules are for if you run back to the previous base. I assume. Does it count for nothing, or are you stuck there now? No, I assume it's nothing. It's just you, you still are, count as the third baseman. On yeah. Third, and if you ran back to second, they could just be like, "I throw the ball to the third baseman, and you're out." You know that baseball has one of those rule books that's one of those huge tomes that's under its own lamp on a plinth in like the National Library of Congress, and it, you can only turn the pages with like a big long stick that you have to use to flip the whole page at once because it weighs 15 pounds. Yeah, that's so. There's definitely a rule for what happens if a player runs the wrong way. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And I'm sure it's just you aren't actually going anywhere. Like, only forward motion counts. And, of course, there's a rule for that because back in 1910 or so, there was a thing where the third baseman and the uh, shortstop would conspire to pick up the person at third and carry them back to first and put them there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sure it was like, oh, yeah, there was a weird play that would happen from Dusty Flumps, and he would be on third, <laughs> and he'd go back to second, and then... Because he was already on third at one point, he could run from second to home and it would count. <laughs> Old Goo Goo Tyler and Sugar Jumps McGee. <laughs> Boy, howdy, they had it all worked out. They'd bring a mule onto the <laughs> onto the field and drag the third baseman to first. What and they'd it- do is they'd start a bake sale in outfield. and. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's the kind of baseball that can only be played if the league is still segregated. <laughs> St- stupid baseball. The dumb shit baseball. <laughs> Oh, it seems the umpire has a club foot. <laughs> Exceedingly white person baseball. 
the second base uh, man on second base is running back for, to first. Apparently, second base has polio. <laughs> He's running back to first. He left his wallet there. <laughs> oh, looks the second baseman's opened it, and a moth flew out. <laughs> oh, it's the depression. <laughs> Oh, good times. Anyway, we're here to review 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons, and here's the thing. We already knew this episode was going to go long, so I'm not worried about any di- diversions on oh, the way yeah. to the Well, end. I mean, it's fine if we uh, have a little digression, because it's not like anyone has been waiting for us to review this. <laughs> it's just me, mostly. I'm so excited about talking about this game. I love talking about this game. <laughs> so, so 4th edition D&D came out actually last month, 10 years ago. It came it, out last month, weirdly. <laughs> this episode was reviewed in 2008. <laughs> yeah, we reviewed this we reviewed episode. It. We recorded it two weeks before the game came out. <laughs> and Prophetic. Now we're reviewing it. <laughs> and now we're unearthing the review of it. Ugh. <laughs> Nothing in here but old moths and skeleton bones. <laughs> Bunch of references to 1910. Weird. <laughs> so, okay, so, yeah, 4th edition came out in June of 2008. Great. That's what I was trying to get across there. Uh, it replaced, of course, the 3.5 edition, uh, and we might as well just get started with talking about what it is, the super basics for people who maybe never heard of D&D or didn't listen to the previous four episodes about it. Yeah, I mean, if you're just jumping in for some reason on 4th Ed because you've heard so much about 4th Ed... Great, let's go through a quick rundown of the rules. Most D&D games follow the same set of rules. There are six statistics. They are strength, dexterity, and constitution, intelligence, charisma, and wisdom. Indeed, you get a ranking in that usually between 3 to 18 to start. Yeah, although in modern years, numbers above 18 have become more common. Uh, although I believe 5th edition caps that a little harder than the previous edition oh, yeah. did. 4th uh, and 3rd both would just let you climb those numbers up to ungodly heights for fun. Oh, yeah, because in, especially in third and fourth edition, they really didn't need to keep the, like, oh, you have an 18, you have a 14. It really should have just been you have a plus two, you have a plus four, whatever it is, because nothing mattered depending on anything else. It's true. Uh, Basically, you would boil down your statistics. So you'd have between a three and an 18 for a starting character. Really more between a three and a... Actually, really more between an eight and a 20. Yeah. And uh, with between that eight and 20... Uh, each number would generate a a bonus or a penalty that would become the basic value of what... It, basically, 3rd and 4th edition D&D both did this. They tried to kill off the, the uh, ability score. They wanted it gone, and in its place, just a shorter, smaller number that was a little more functional, a little easier to work with. Both of these editions, 4th edition included, use the actual ability score a handful of times which is to both of their detriment. They shouldn't have done this. Uh, when you're like, oh, you actually have your con score and hit points plus a, a set value, that's a problem because it's incongruous with the rest of the game. Uh, well, yeah, it, it means that there is at least some value to certain numbers mm-hmm. over other ones, depending on if you need like that actual number the, instead the biggest, of just a bonus? The biggest failure in that case is when feats requires uh, stat values. Oh, yeah. When yeah, it's like, oh, you need a dex 13. Yeah. What? That, yeah. Why 13? A 13 is between a plus one and a plus two. It's a terrible place to put that. And it's like, well, we didn't really do a whole lot of math and planning when we were designing the game. It, uh, especially third edition in particular didn't bother with that much. Fourth did, but they messed it up in a couple of places here and there. Oh, yeah. There's- just a few. I mean, we'll we'll definitely get into the the math errors of fourth edition, yeah. but so here that's are, fine. But the core things that are different about fourth edition, 
And honestly, it was a very different edition right out of the gate. Third, more or less tried to preserve the legacy of D&D before it's kept fancy and casting, uh, kept a modified variation on Thaco that was still pretty easy to understand. Uh, there was a lot there that made sense. Uh, in this case, or sorry, made sense to people who had played second edition. Yeah. Fourth decided to just kind of sweep it aside and introduce a new, a new paradigm, a new way to play the game. Well, they really made this edition player facing yes they did it's a lot more towards the player and a lot less towards the dm and ostensibly the idea behind that wasn't to take power away from the dm but actually to empower them uh you could the dm as the dm you could throw whatever you wanted at the players because it was really easy to know what they had versus what you could throw at them plus you could be more aggressive it's more satisfying as a player and you feel less you get less of that antagonistic DM thing when if something happens to you, and in this game, instead of uh, a saving throw, things have defenses. Yeah, so you-, you would have your own defense for someone tries to hit you with whatever spell, and instead of them beating a DC, you had to save against it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So basically, the first thing that you see that's different is the stat values on the on the races, and actually the inclusion of specific races. Uh, the base races or species you can play as in fourth edition D anD D are human, halfling, gnome is gone, and it comes back. I mean, we're reviewing the first book right now. I mean, let's be honest, a shitload of stuff is gone and comes races. back. Basically, yeah, there's a million playable races, but the base playable races in the first game are human, halfling, elf, uh, dwarf, of course. But then you go a little off the reservation. You have Eladrin which is a new kind of elf. Yeah, it's pretty much taking that distinction of the forest elf and the high elf. Yeah, the kind of I live in a crystalline tower elf uh, and saying these are two very different things. Yeah, the difference between your elves that live out in the woods and are archers and your elves that are more like fae and are wizards. Yeah, your Galadriel versus your, you know, uh, uh, Legolas so to speak. Uh, but then you have a couple of brand new, well, not really brand new, but brand new to core book races. The Dragonborn. Yeah. And the Dragonborn are, you know, dragon dudes. They're, they they're are, big lizard. They're, they're big lizard people. They have some really interesting characteristics that separate them from actual dragons. For example, they have ropes for hair. <laughs> I mean, we might as well just be honest with this. They have big old tentacle hair, the ladies at least. Yeah. And of course, they have they have some, some rock and titties, which was a, a huge problem for a lot of people right around 2008. Oh, yeah. People are like, oh, gross. These these reptiles have titties. I cannot get past this. This is my hill. This is where I will die. That's the where, that's where I'm going to die. <laughs> right here on this hill. <laughs> the art in this book suggests reptile titties, and I will have none of it. And then, of course, XCOM 2 came along and gave a snake titty. <laughs> and everyone was fine with it. And everyone was like, oh, good, snake titty. Yeah, I got some titty snakes. Yeah. <laughs> if there's anything I love, it's, it's a little titty on a snake. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, I'm eyeing so much here, Tieflings. So Tieflings make it into the core book, and they're kind of redesigned. Like, if you saw Tieflings all the way back in second edition monster manuals and so on, they were basically, as drawn by Tony DeTerlizzi, uh, some, some sweet-hipped ladies with, uh, like, tiny little horns for cuteness and, and, and a devil tail, and that was the end of that. Yeah. Maybe I they mean, had some hooves. You'd mostly see, like, if you were looking at, say, even just a guy, would be like, oh, what do you do? Uh... I've got some spiky, weird hair, pointy ears. I'm basically like an elf with a tail. I've got some Halloween horns glued on up there. Yeah. And that, and that was pretty much as far as you went. In this book, they look a little more like if Klingons were Minotaurs. 
Like they have the, their their horns jut out from a giant front ridge. Like they have a bike handlebar set stuck up there. Well, I mean, you get the uh, you get. <laughs> I don't know what. A, I don't want to invite the comparison this early to World of Warcraft, but you get your Draenei options for horns. There are a couple of, yeah, definitely Draenei options. <laughs> and here's the problem with that. Well, we'll talk about the 4th edition compar- comparison to WoW when we get to what the meat yes. of this review is going to be, which is, here's the complaints you hear about this game all the time. What's up with them? Yeah. So those are the base races. Uh, the races, instead of getting a bonus and a penalty, get a uh, get two bonuses. Yeah, that was one of the big changes in this. Again, being very forward for the player facing very much like inviting to play was basically the goal they were shooting for yeah it was you never felt when you picked a race you're like i'm fucking myself in some way Mm -hmm. so now when you picked a race you're like i can only feel good about this all i get is bonuses to stats some extra little powers some little bonuses maybe to skills or maybe to a saving throw you know you'd get Things for picking a race, but there was never a point where they were like, oh, you goofed, you picked whatever, you picked half orc, and now you get minus four total <laughs> and only plus two. And the plus two is, o- is only to strength, an ability that for some reason we thought was super important for the previous three editions. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, at least in this, you definitely have that that feeling of I can do whatever, which I, I honestly would say is one of the core ideas behind 4th edition is you should be able to pick anything and feel good about it. Yeah. Now, I don't know that necessarily that they succeeded at that. I mean, sure, you don't get any penalties, but when you're playing a dwarf and you get a plus two dexterity, or sorry, a plus two constitution and a plus two wisdom, you're still not thinking, I should play a wizard because I have a high intelligence. You don't you don't get that sense. So if you're playing, if you're a person who's a real optimizer, if you feel like you're leaving money on the table, if you don't take the best possible option, there are still trap choices. And there are whole huge pages on the internet dedicated to color-coding what was a trap choice versus what was the golden perfect option for building your character. Well, almost everything was, uh, what's your main stat? Pick a race that gets a plus two to it. That there is, you go. That is true. Or at the very least, both your secondary stats should get a plus two. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't perfect, but it was close. It, it gave you... a. Basically, the idea was, let's have a fun time when we're making characters. Envision yourself as a big damn hero and follow the path along that gets you to that. Yeah. Uh, each race also picks up a kind of ability they can, they can use a couple times, like once per day or once per encounter. For example, Dragonborn can breathe. Uh, they can fire a breath weapon off that corresponds to whatever they whatever chromatic dragon they, be, they happen to be a fan of. Yeah, well, so they uh, if like, it was like, oh, I come from... You know, uh, land down under green dragons. Yeah, <laughs> green dragons notoriously come from Australia, <laughs> and uh, I shoot chlorine breath or whatever the hell. Yeah, exactly. If you're red, you shoot fire. If you're blue, you shoot lightning. Uh, it's up to you, though. It doesn't really matter. You just choose one from a variety of the damage types at character creation, and then you do that amount of damage every uh, time you use your breath weapon going forward. Yeah, unless you manage to find a build that's like, oh, this is a build that specifically gives me a bonus to. Uh, lightning damage. All right, well, I guess I'm a blue dragonborn. Yeah, I've never seen that come up. No. Mostly because the only damage type anyone ever really gears toward is Radiant, and Radiant isn't one of the options. Yeah, you can can gear towards Radiant, or you can gear towards Fire, though Dragonborn gearing towards Fire usually is 
weird for because the classes that do it aren't really ones dragonborn want the base dragonborn got a plus two to intelligence and a plus two to strength if i remember correctly as the edition progressed as they released a, a second and third player's handbook they changed it from you get plus two to two specific stats to you get a hard plus two to one stat and then your choice of a plus two to one of these other two stats yeah which again was them really trying to go we do want this to be a you can pick whatever we mm-hmm. want you to be able to do that obviously some will be more optimized yeah but at least when you have the option between like i got a plus two in this and one of these other two you're covering half the stats you're probably going to get a bonus to something that's useful exactly and they actually went back and changed the uh, player's handbook to include those plus twos so yeah. a dragonborn gets a plus two to charisma and strength thing it can be either charisma or intelligence that kind of thing uh, they, they can choose which one they want. Now, the classes are also pared down in an interesting way. Yeah, the way they did classes in this book was super interesting to me because every class has your main stat. So, obviously, if you're a cleric, it's wisdom. If you're a wizard, it's intelligence. It's the same as it's always been. Mm-hmm. But then every class got two substats. So, you could say, oh, I'm a cleric i have wisdom as my main one now i can either be a charisma laser cleric yeah i'm a laser cleric that shoots radiant beams at people or i can be a strength and wisdom cleric and i'm a mace wielding bonk you on the head cleric yes and every class works that way now a lot of your favorite classes may seem to be missing i think they got all of them back in there by the end of it oh yeah uh but in the core book the the classes you can play as are this is interesting you the barbarian's gone the uh, the bard is gone. They're both druid's gonna, gone. The druid's gone. They're, all three of them are going to show up again in Player's Handbook two. Uh, the monk is gone, and you're going to have to wait all the way for Player's Handbook three for that monk. Yeah the the base one, you have your your core trinity. You've got your fighter, cleric, and wizard. You've got your rogue. Yes, uh, but then you also in the core book have a couple of new classes. Uh, you have paladin and ranger too. Well, paladin and ranger. Yeah. But then a couple of interesting classes. You've got the uh, the warlock. Yep, warlock, which. In this one, sort of replaced Sorcerer as the other caster. Mm-hmm. Although Sorcerer will come back. I mean, Sorcerer, everything comes back. Yes. But the Warlock had three different paths that mm-hmm. you can take, which made it very interesting. It depended on which source of evil power you've aligned yourself with. Because the Warlock's core concept was, I am trading my soul or service or... or Basically, something happened yeah. and you made a deal with some power. Whether, yeah, you're, you're spawned now. The power was either Infernal... Or it was Faye, or it was Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that what you're saying for Star Pact? Yeah, the Star it's, Pact. It's, it's uh, you know, gibbering terror from beyond the stars is what you made your agreement with. Yeah, it was, I made a pact with some Lovecraftian nonsense, and hooray for me. Yeah. Uh, and then you've also got the uh, the Warlord, which is probably the coolest thing about 4th edition, almost hands down. Warlord is an amazing new type of thing that showed up in 4th edition, which was... Well, we got to talk about a support the, fighter. We got to talk about roles to really talk about what the warlord is. Yeah. So roles. I mean, you go ahead though. The warlord. No, I was, is, I was just going to say, warlord is a support fighter, mm-hmm. which is not really what you got a lot out of someone that wasn't a caster. I mean, you could call a cleric a support fighter, mm-hmm. but really they were a support that could be frontline. This was I use my fight abilities in order to support people. So the basic, the, the one of the most broad changes that they made to fourth edition was the concept of roles the idea that 
you know, a fighter isn't just whatever in a battlefield. They actually have a specific thing they're trying to accomplish and that the game wants to support the player who's playing them in, in accomplishing that goal. There are four roles in the game, and they are defender, which is someone who basically tries to get themselves between their allies and their enemies, take the damage. And, your and classic tank. Your classic tank, but I'm trying not to use that language. <laughs> but whatever. I th- honestly, I'm, I'm going to say it right now, honestly, I think the comparisons to MMOs that people drew to 4th edition are actually a good thing. Yeah, I mean, honestly. There's a reason that those Holy Trinity MMOs worked so well at the time period that they did, and it's because things like drawing aggro and ma- doing damage and healing that damage made sense to people. Yes. So, uh, the war... the, the the role of defender is a person who tries to interpose themselves between their allies and damage. They take that damage. They punish enemies for trying to damage people who aren't them. Yeah. Uh, the striker is your your core classic I do damage character. Your, your DPS class. Yes. The, the they, people who had a class ability that was uh, I do extra damage. Yes, or, and they have a way to accomplish it. So basically, if they're playing to their role, they have a way to set up extra damage that they can usually access almost every round. Yeah. Uh, you've got your support class. They're your, called leaders. Your leaders. Yeah. Which leaders in this were interesting in that support didn't just mean healing now. Mm-hmm. Because they added in uh, all of these battlefield control mechanics, things like sliding people or immobilizing them or doing various things. So like your player characters like and and not just i stop the enemies from doing stuff but like i'll move our guys or i'll give our guys a bonus to do something Mm -hmm. uh that is what you'd get from a leader is not just your classic cleric healer but things like the bard music stuff where it gives a bonus to things Mm -hmm. would be a leader ability yeah or the scion ability when when the psionic would eventually make its way out in 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 a third player's handbook the ability to kind of muddle the minds of enemies so if they hit they hit for less anything that basically reduced or or supported the party in some way was was a big benefit yeah and and it was what leaders generated and i i feel bad now because i'm I'm realizing that the psionic was the controller in that game and the leader was the uh ardent well in the book the thing is the fourth role was the controller Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna go ahead and say right here they didn't have a solid idea of what they wanted controller to be right out the gate. No, they did not. The controller, the concept behind the controller is that they're battlefield management without the healing element. They lock down enemies. They they create zones that are no-goes for enemies to funnel them where you want them. Uh, they, they immobilize, or at the same time, they teleport things around. Uh, they basically reorganize the battlefield to the advantage of the players, is yeah, the concept of the controller. They're supposed to be... Area denial and status effects, so stuns, slows, dazes, things like that should be what the controller is all about. Now, the problem with that is that as a single target mechanic, if you're fighting a bunch of chumps, being like, all right, these chumps can't run right now isn't all that great. So what they also added to the controller as a role uh, was AoE damage. The idea that that being able to eliminate hordes of low hit point chumps counts as a control effect. Yeah, the the weird problem with this is... There was only one controller in the book, and it was the wizard. That and was a big problem. The weird thing about this was everyone else in the book, literally everyone else in the book, had, as we mentioned before, those paths you could go down. You mm-hmm. could be like, all right, I'm a charisma and wisdom cleric, and this informs so much of how I play. It, yes. It changes my uh, like what I'm trying to get as powers. 
it makes it so that what I've decided to do based on being charisma is better. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to be better at uh, range damage. I'm going to be slightly better at healing. Yeah, it, it informs the types of skills you'd want to take. It informs the type of weapon you might want to specialize in. It's super important for every one of the classes. You have your fighter who chooses between, you know, I like to take a two-handed weapon and really mix it up and and build my aggro by being mean to the enemy versus I have a shield and a, and a sword and, and I like to block and I like to uh, tank up. And, and absorb damage and bring enemies towards me. Oh, yeah. Uh, but when it comes to the wizard, even though, you know, I've played this game enough that I know the wizard's roles between orb wizard and rod wizard and what have you, they 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 the, feel nebulous and they don't feel like they matter, Yeah, those the prob- roles. The problem was, instead of picking, let's say you go, oh, I chose Int and then my side ones, I could decide to be a charisma wizard or a constitution wizard. Yeah. Instead, you picked an implement, so you'd be like, oh, I use wand or a staff or an orb, and all they did was give you a different, generally encounter power and a static bonus to mm-hmm. something. So like, to some I, of your powers, yeah. If I pick staff, I get a plus one to my AC, and then once per encounter, I can use my con mod to add to a defense. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's what getting a staff does, but none of the spells used it. Like, there was no point where you'd look at it and go, like, oh, as a staff wizard, I want these types of spells. Yeah, and it's not the only time they made that mistake. Uh, It was just a big disappointment that they made it right out of the gate in the first book with the class that was going to be the one that was judged the most harshly. And I think that's really where a lot of the blowback against this edition came was wizard was down in the muck with everyone else, and no one liked it. Well, honestly... It was a little scattershot. Yeah, yeah. It really it felt like they hadn't quite nailed it down, but the concept of the wizard was going to be. And going from wizard being the, I'm the toolbox, I am capable of doing pretty much whatever, I'm the Batman of this game, if you give me enough time to prepare, I can do anything, to uh, I'm kind of a bad leader. It, it, and, you know, to be fair... Wizard coming down a peg was something that needed to happen. I mean, we've reviewed all these editions in order, and in each each one, when we've reviewed these these books, we've talked about how the wizard, all they ever do with the wizard is take restrictions away. Oh, yeah. E- Every each edition, edition, it was just like, all right, well, we did have a cap on what you could do because we gave too much shit in magic. But eh, let's just let you keep doing it. And they were like, "This cap's not good gameplay." So you don't, you know what? You don't need to worry about these level restrict or these uh, XP penalties or these uh, armor penalties when casting or all these other things. Or the fact that if anyone pushes you while you're catching the spell, you fail the spell. Don't don't worry about those things. That was, I mean, honestly, it's that kind of philosophy that led to fourth edition of we want you to feel good playing. Mm-hmm. We don't want you to. Like, if you made a wizard back in, like, first ed AD&D, go, god damn it, so much of my shit is restrained, I don't get to choose what I want to do. I have three hit points, and and the whole idea back then was, yeah, but think about how powerful you might be someday. If you you slog through this river of shit, you may earn a rad character and get to rub everyone else's nose in it. Yeah, and now it was pretty much just from go, level one. This is the only edition of D&D that a level one character feels like an adventurer and not just an idiot that blundered into a dungeon. That is true. Uh, so many editions of D&D, right up to fifth, I feel like I don't want to play a first level character ever again. 
No, first level characters, everyone goes on and on about like, oh, but you need to because that establishes, you know, your your background as, as a little shit dude. And then you get better. We want the Luke Skywalker thing. It kills me how many people still want to play zeroth level characters where it's like, what are you? I am literally a farm man. Sixteen of me are going to go into this dungeon and the one who comes out, he shall be a cleric. <laughs> And I'm like, ugh, why? Why do you keep trying to play weaker and weaker things? Why not play a protozoan who needs to someday become a man? That's honestly the weird thing for me is if you want to play that game, there are other games you can do and it will be fine and it supports that. Stop trying to play that in D&D. It's <laughs> true. But yeah, the wizard basically got put at the same level as everyone else. But that wasn't quite enough, because they still hadn't figured out what controller should do. Now, by the second player's handbook, had they figured that out? They absolutely had. The druid is another controller, as is the uh, invoker, who kind of summons angels and controls the battlefield with them. Uh, those are both rad. They really seem to have, have nailed their shit down and what a controller should look like. And they also kind of fixed the wizard. One of the things about this game having the paths, where, like we mentioned with Cleric, you could play a Radiant Cleric or a Bonk Cleric, is <laughs> as they put out supplements, they would put out more of those paths. So Wizards started to pick up new and more interesting paths that kind of helped specialize them. And as they put out more powers, they included more that had riders associated with the original paths. Yeah, unfortunately, if we're just reviewing, you know... I know. The core book, fail the, the core the core book, book fails failed, the wizard. Failed wizard hard. It did. It failed the wizard, and it was a real Green disappointment. Green Arrow showed up and said, you have failed this wizard, and then <laughs> shot them. Yeah. So there's there's no getting around that. Core edition, the base book, PHB for 4th edition, did not do right by the wizard. No. and the, Or by the controller, for that the, matter. Yeah, the problem was, like I said, they just didn't stick to the design philosophy for wizard and I feel like it's because they were trying to get all of those wizard sacred cows in there. They did. And, and you know, a lot of them are in there. Vancey and casting is still somehow fucking in there. Even though we're about to talk about the AE, the uh, at-will encounter daily utility system and how it revamped all the powers for every class. But for wizards, they kept that thing where you choose two dailies every time you choose a daily and you choose at the beginning of each day which one of those dailies is your daily today. And that was their little paean to the, uh, the existence of Vancey and casting. Yeah. They tried to keep that in there, not even for the cleric, who was also originally a Vancey and caster, just the wizard, just enough to be like, hey guys, this is still here. And there's another thing, wizards start with ritual casting as a feat, and ritual casting is where 4th edition took every spell that you, you used to uh, take so you could make the rogue feel like an idiot. You know, it's like, oh, uh, the ability to, to, to climb a free rope for all, all day or teleport to the city nearby, because those aren't useful combat spells. They, were all, they all became what they called rituals which are just sort of spells you can cast when you're not in the middle of a fight. And anyone can do it. Now, anyone. Well, if they, if they take that feat. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, quit interrupting me. <laughs> <laughs> you piece of shit. You <laughs> fucking garbage human. No, but it... John, I think the important thing... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the... If I may. The book <laughs> has... Most of your caster classes start with ritual casting. Mm-hmm. And anyone can pick it up. So if your fighter really wants to be a ritual caster, you're like, oh yeah, I'm a fightsman. I run around with a sword and board, and I, I like to fight. But when I'm not fighting, I like to get down with some rituals. And then he spins a chair around. Hey, kids, let's rap. <laughs> Hang on, this isn't backwards enough, he says, reaching for his baseball cap. <laughs> uh, his conical baseball helmet. <laughs> so... So basically, the wizard was more or less failed by this edition. But let's talk about the other classes and what they turned into by way of talking about the at-will encounter daily utility system. Uh, the first thing 
that a lot of people will tell you that's different about fourth edition, and, and something that a lot of people complain about is that all that weeaboo fighting magic. Weeaboo fighting magic, they call it. The <laughs> fact that every class has what they describe as powers. Yes. Uh, now, w- when you play a first level character out of the first player's handbook, you get two at will powers, which are what you can do every single turn forever for as long as you want. They are they replace it, what would you would call in every previous edition the base attack. Now, base attack still exists. It, normally, it's still relevant. Yeah. Normally, you'll only do it in this edition on an attack of opportunity, or if you charge, or if someone like grants you a bonus at- attack. Yeah. Then you still have, and, and you know, it's the same thing as it's always been. Roll a d twenty, add your bonus to hit. Did you hit? Do the amount of damage your weapon does. Hooray! There you go. So base attack, simple. It's always been there. It's it's still very easy to do. The at wills are a basic attack plus a little extra. It's here's. Everyone gets their own flavor of basic attacks. Yes. Now, and, and those support their roll actions. So, for example, a fighter's base attacks can be things like uh, Tide of Iron. I will hit you. I will push you a square. I will follow you into that square I just pushed you out of. Yeah. Where they, they basically smack you with a shield or the bat, their butt of the sword or something, do some damage, but also shove you out of your current position to, make, uh, to, to help tank, to make it so that they are no longer reach one of your allies or something. Yeah. Uh, and each one of their powers is either that or just more damage, if you want to play a simple, old-fashioned fighter. Uh, Ranger, uh, for example. We, we haven't talked about Ranger and Rogue and so on yet. Ranger's a striker in this edition. It, it exists to do damage. And what I meant by earlier by roll actions with strikers, where they get a bonus uh, damage effect called Quarry. And the way Quarry works is, is a minor action, which you know is the quick action of every other edition. You say, that guy's my Quarry. I'm hunting that guy. And now I get a bonus D6 or 2D6 or whatever damage to them every time I shoot them. Yeah, and it's, it's just automatic. Mm-hmm. It's if I hit this guy and deal damage, I deal my bonus damage. Yes, but all their powers are things like a Twin Strike is, is the most important Ranger power in... Arguably one of the better at wills in the game. It it's, was it was the most broken of at wills at the start. Yeah, it was basically just make two attacks. You yeah. can choose one or two targets. It was really norm- really normally good. Normally the the whole thing was you would say, oh, when I do an at will, I can either get a specified die, so like this does a d8 damage, mm-hmm. or it would do your weapons damage, mm-hmm. and you'd get a bonus to like oh whatever my main stat is probably. So if I was a fighter, it'd be like oh I do a weapon damage plus strength. Yeah, and twin would, strike it, was just weapon damage. So they're like oh you lose the extra strength, but you attack twice. Yeah, and what that the problem was that you didn't really care that much about your strength bonus to damage as you progressed in levels and started picking up things like weapon bonus to damage and feet bonus to damage. So you were like, oh, gee, I didn't do an extra three damage, but I sure did do an extra 17. Yeah. So it got really good really fast. Uh, but, that, you know, that's just talking about one at will. But you can see the just the concept of attack twice is basically in line with what a striker should be doing. Yeah, and uh, you have the same thing where most of the other ones would be, like, Warlock is a striker and they curse things. Yes. Uh, they can have multiple curses out and... Uh, it's again just a if you hit someone that you have cursed, you get to do some extra damage, and a lot of the time the uh, classes not only went with the two ways that you fight, like the whole again charisma or strength cleric, but what you picked was sort of your secondary role. So if I was a cleric and yeah. I uh, decide I want to go either. Uh, charisma or strength. Yeah. If I go strength, I've basically decided I'm a leader, and my subtype is going to be a striker. I'm going to do extra damage. Mm-hmm. If I go charisma, 
I'm basically going a leader that subs into control. Uh, I've got effects that can make people be minus to hit or immobilize them, things like that. And the same thing with strikers. You could be a striker that's like, yeah, I do damage, but I'm also going to help control the flow of battle. Yeah. No, that's... Yeah. Now, the uh, leader types, which is what John was saying with the cleric and the uh, the warlord, also get healing, but they don't have to prepare for it. It doesn't take up any of their daily resources. It's just an ability they have, which occurs when they take regular actions. Uh, for example, the warlord uses something called inspiring word to heal. It's a minor action. They can do that when they would like to do that, which means uh, as a warlord, you can still take your full turn, do your at will, uh, and then as your minor action, go, you, get better, and one of your friends rises up and heals, and you shout their hand back on. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. Yeah, because their hands get knocked off constantly, because this is Bionicle, the fourth edition role-playing game. <laughs> I don't know if the characters in Bionicle get constantly knocked apart because they're Lego or not. I assume I, I, I assume that does not happen. I, I guess not. I don't know. Yeah. But the, the thing with that is it made healing just a thing you could do. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it wasn't an infinite amount, obviously. Oh, you get a couple of them. Uh, at start, I think you do it twice per uh, encounter, but as you level up, you can do it one or two more times. And you'd occasionally have powers that are things, usually they would use the temporary HP mechanic of, oh, I hit a guy, and then you get a D6 temporary HP, mm -hmm. and that's just sort of like a little shield on you that takes the damage first whenever you get hit. Another thing about most leaders, Cleric breaks this one a little bit, because it's possible to build a Cleric who's like, what do you do all day? Heal. I heal and heal and heal some more. But most, uh, most of these uh, leader types are like, oh, I have a thing I'm doing, also I heal. Yeah. Uh, with a warlord, for example, you mostly are doing bonking the, your enemies, repositioning your friends, controlling the flow of battle, rewarding people for following your actions. They, the, uh, if you choose, for example, to be a tactical warlord, which is a, a primary warlord or primary leader secondary defender... Uh, then what you reward people for th for uh, hitting the targets you want them to. If they hit a target that you have uh, the, in your line of sight, they get a bonus based on your intelligence modifier because they're following your battle plan. Yeah, you're pretty much just designating someone and going like, hey, everybody, beat the shit out of this guy. Yeah. So most heals, though, this is what I meant to get to in the first place. Most heals don't do, you know, 3d6 plus one or whatever. They do what's called your surge value. Yep. Uh, this had two things. Your bloodied value, which is half of your hit points, and your surge value, which is a quarter. Now, surge value is useful because that means that you can mark that number down, and every time you get healed, you can just give yourself that many hit points. Yeah, someone's like, here, you spend a surge, mm -hmm. you have a number of surges, so even if someone has an infinite amount of healing to do, you can only heal the number of time you have surged. Exactly. Now, that's a big thing. So that means that if you're a warlord and you, as a minor action, heal up the party tank, that tank still has to spend one of his surges. Yeah. So you can't. the fights can't last forever. Now, if you run out of surges, you might have Mountain Dew. <laughs> and if you don't have Mountain Dew, you might somehow still have some DNL. <laughs> but if you have DNL, I feel real sorry for you. Why? That shit's rare as hell. You have a valuable resource there in that Upside Down 7-Up logo. You have quite a treasure there in that <laughs> DNL cube. <laughs> I wish I had a cube of DNL. <laughs> Actually, it was nasty the one time I tried it, but... Uh, oh, yeah. Well, now I'm just imagining, like, a box of wine, but it's DNL, and <laughs> you've got, like, a cube of it, and you just <laughs> put your head under there and open the spigot. <laughs> so, okay, uh, you get two of these at-will powers. Uh, humans... No, is it... Hu yeah, humans... Yeah, humans get, get an extra one. Humans get three. Uh, so you get an... It, there are four to choose from for most of the classes in the player's handbook. So humans get three out of the four of them, which is pretty great. Oh, yeah, because usually you had four to pick from... 
Two were centered around whatever you were going to do on one stat and two on the other one. But still, as a human, it was useful to pick up that that extra one. Well, yeah, because even if you didn't get a slight bonus, because let's say I'm a Radiant Cleric and I do pick up one of the Strength Cleric abilities, Mm -hmm. the writer on it, even if I don't get the Strength Cleric Path writer, Mm -hmm. it might just have an ability that's like, oh, what does this do? Oh, this actually like dazes a guy, and dazes are amazing. So I want to get that anyway. One of the this is actually something I heard people complain about constantly in, in, about fourth edition is that all of these powers, all the at wills, the encounters, all of them are templated very specifically. They tell you exactly what they do and how they do it and when. And people didn't like that because it felt a little less um, fluffy, like there was less story to it. Because, but uh, but which it, is very weird to me. It's I think it's because they went away from, especially in like spells, where everything was a lot of the time natural language for stuff. Yeah, it was like, and at this point, your fingers shall tent, and an invisible t- gateway shall appear to a boat. And, but it's like, well, what does that mean in game terms? Uh, there's a boat. Yeah, you get a, you get a boat. Like this one was much more okay. Five squares away from you. A boat will appear, it takes up a two square by three square hex. Like the basic, here's the most basic Warlord power. This is the one that that they always recommend you take, but you don't need to. Commander's Strike, Warlord Attack 1, which tells you that it's a level 1 ability. It's an at-will because it's green there, what I was just reading, where at-wills are green. Uh, It gives you a little sentence that tells you what uh, what it does. With a shout, you command an ally to attack. Then it says, at will, martial, weapon. These are all templated codes that are important as well. At will means you can use it as many times as you want all the way throughout a fight. Uh, this is always an ability you have active to you. Martial tells you that it's uh, a martial weapon type. Uh, there's a lot of uh, effects in the game that change things based on if they're martial, arcane, whatever the power yeah, source is. Whatever you are coming from. Yeah, it's your power source. Uh, and weapon tells you that you need to have a weapon in hand to use this ability. Yep. Uh, standard action, melee weapon. That tells you it needs to be a melee weapon that was in your hand in the first place. And standard action tells us that it's your big attack for the turn. It is not a minor action. Uh, target, this is really important, one creature. This can be one, two, or three creatures, uh, everyone inside of a blast five. There's all kinds of different targets it could be, but it's really useful to know. Uh, let's see, attack. This is the. It says attack, an ally of your choice makes a melee basic attack, so there's those, uh, against the target. All right? So this is interesting because this is a difference between attack and hit. Attack is what happens no matter what. Uh, The next one is hit. Allies basic damage plus your intelligence modifier. This is what happens when they hit. There are a lot of abilities in this game that have under the attack descriptor damage because they can't miss at least a little bit. Yeah, Something is guaranteed to happen. Especially when you get into encounters and dailies, there are things where it's like, oh, you attack a person... And even on miss, it'll have an on miss effect that's like, look, it normally would have done 10d6 on miss, you still do 5d6. Yeah, you've got miss, and then, for example, another one here has Inspiring Presence listed as a, mod- as a uh, rider type. That's because Inspiring Presence is one of the two paths that a warlord can take. Yeah, it you tells be you an Inspiring Warlord mm-hmm. instead of a Tactical Warlord. Yes, so that if you are an Inspiring Warlord, you get those following benefits that it says under there as well. Uh, so it, the templating is interesting. It... It does kind of feel like this is not a very fluffy power. Like, it can be difficult to figure out what a commander strike is exactly. Oh, maybe not. That one's super simple. But some of the other ones... Yeah. Some of the other ones... I I remember hearing a lot of people complain about Come and Get It, which is a fighter daily. Yeah. Uh, Come and Get It is every enemy within an X number of squares of you comes to you. They go two squares towards you. Yeah. The fastest way they can. And people hated it because they were like, well, now you're just taking control of the DM's monsters. (laughs) 
what are you even doing? And it's like, yeah, you are, because you're a rad fighter and you're doing a rad thing. Yeah. You're don't worry about it. You're making the monsters come at you, which is great. Yes. So uh but the templating is nice because it opens up a, a whole new style of ways to def- describe the game. Uh, for example, there's a, there's a rogue subtype that you can play that, that gets a, an effect based on scaring your opponent by being so mean in combat. And so they get the rattling keyword. And every time you attack an enemy that already is rattled, they take an additional pen, uh, penalty mm-hmm. and, and with, a, with a rattling attack, that is. Huh. So there's this is sort of a neat thing you can see where you get all these or uh, reliable is another uh, templated keyword you see regularly, especially in fighters. Yeah, a reliable attack if it's an encounter or a, or a daily, uh, you don't lose the ability for the day if you miss. Yeah. So if I have like uh, at a strike that is the whole point of it is this hits. It doesn't do massive amounts of damage, but it's got good accuracy, and the rider is. It's reliable, mm-hmm. and if I missed, then I get to keep it. It's a, a an ability that you're like, no, I will use this on someone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because there's, there's nothing worse than going like, I do my big flashy daily, and then you fuck up, mm-hmm. which is why the on-miss effect was on almost every daily, because no one, again, the, the addition is very player-facing. They're like... It fucking sucks. It doesn't feel good to use your big flashy daily ability and roll a three, get nothing, and then go. All right, well, your turn. Yeah, no, it's never been fun. It's always been a little disappointing. But uh, in this game, certain powers do—they re- don't reward you exactly, but they lessen the punishment. Yeah, it's you basically get your your little reward for being like, look, man, you used the daily power. You get something. Yeah. So, the basic first-level player will have four of these abilities. They'll have two of those at-wills, they'll have one encounter, and as you probably guessed from the name, an encounter is just a stronger ability that you can use once per encounter. Yep. And then they get a daily, which is an even stronger ability that you can use once per day. Great. Uh, Then, at second level, they pick up the only other kind of power we haven't talked about yet, which is a utility power. Which was great. Uh, It was all... Almost all. Some of them were still combat relevant. The problem with utility was that enough of them were were combat at various levels that it was always worth it to pick the combat ones. Yeah, because you might look at it and go like, oh, what are these? Well, I've got a bunch of different utility things. I'm a rogue, and here's one that is I get a bonus to my diplomacy or my bluff because I'm so good at bluffing, or here's one that gives me a better sneak bonus. And then you'd find one that was... Here's one that teleports you around a battlefield. Like, you'd find a utility that's just, oh, you are invisible for one turn and uh, move five squares. You go, oh, that's fucking amazing during a fight. Yeah. And that would be the one you pick because most of the time, it's D&D, this is going to be fighting. Now, a lot of 4th edition... One of the more common complaints that's, that's that's a good complaint is that it tried to silo off non-combat from combat. It didn't put enough in the non-combat silo no. to even really make it worth it. So so much so that in the situations where you have a choice between combat or non-combat, you always pick combat. Yeah, there were a few utility, especially if they were like, this is a daily utility power, mm-hmm. where it might be worth it just because it's like, what does this do? Oh, I got like a plus 15 to something. Okay, yeah, sure. This is fine, and the fact that it's a daily doesn't matter, because most of the time, you're not going to be asked to do this Yeah, how role. many times do you have to make an Arcana check in a day? Yeah, you're you're like, oh, the one time during this adventure where I have to do this, I'm going to be real good at it. Yeah, so those, they can be worth it, but utilities tend to be a little bit of a split between the two. I, I would say it, it's arguable that it, it be, it's to their detriment that they work that way. 
Now, as you gain each level, you pick up a few new ones of these abilities. You never pick up more at-wills, but you'll pick up new encounters and new dailies and new utilities to a certain point. Once you have three encounters and three dailies, the next encounter and daily you pick will replace one of your old ones. Yeah. Well, you you don't have to. You go up to oh, a yeah, level. Oh, yeah, you can choose not to. Each one of them scales with level anyway, so your old level 3 encounter power is going to stay really good even when you're level 17. Yeah, well, the the big thing is most of the higher level uh, encounter daily type stuff is they would end up hitting a point where it teetered over into, this doesn't do one weapon damage, it does two weapon damage or mm. this doesn't do a d8 this does two d8 or at level 11 it now hits two targets instead of one target so there are kind of there are different ability or, or different ways that the abilities can grow in power but at the same time as you're leveling up you can choose new abilities yeah and you know when i played this game i had a character that kept i think it was his level three encounter power for Pretty much ever, because it was amazing. And the same thing for when... Because we were playing in the same campaign. Uh, my character used an at-will in situations where... I, I would go whole adventuring days without using my daily powers at all, because I had such a good at-will that I had figured out how to use right. And it was just the ability to throw the party half like. Well, you get a shove, and you're like, oh, you could try and push somewhat like an enemy out of combat mm-hmm. be like here you get out of here or i could throw this halfling 14 squares so that she's threatening the artillery yeah just be like what do you do oh, i pick up a halfling and throw it at whoever's in the back line yeah because the whole thing with the back line is they rely on you never getting over there and you're like nah screw that <laughs> oh yeah because the the enemies in fourth edition also had roles they, they were slightly different than the roles that players had. Mm-hmm. You had Soldier, it, who was an all-around good kind of brawler type. Yeah, but you still had that sort of idea of, I'm a back line, I'm a front line, yeah. the front line guys have ways to stop you from getting to the back line, shit like that. Yeah, they had, I think they came in Brute, Soldier, Lurker, Leader, Artillery. I can't remember the other ones, even if there were any other ones. Uh, okay, because that's, that, that's not PHB stuff, no. that's, that's in the Monster Manual. Uh, okay, uh, so we talked about the various powers. When you do hit level 11 in play in this game, uh, you unlock what are called Paragon Paths. Oh, yeah. One of the other big things in this is uh, you leveled to 30 instead yeah. of to 20, which That's right. everything else was. Yeah, you leveled to 30. Well, technically, first and second edition will let you level forever if you bought the books. Uh, first edition in particular, I think the the PHB was like, ah, above level 20, you still require 1 million XP to advance, and it just doesn't give you anything for it. Well, yeah, there but was always one, epic level play, but this is baseline yeah. in the regular book in, is 1 to 30. In the core book, you have 30 levels of content, 30 levels of powers to gain, and 30 levels of bonus classes to pick up. Uh, when you get level 11, you unlock your cl- your class's Paragon Paths. Now, Paragon Paths are basically the prestige classes of 3rd edition uh, simplified. They are specific to individual classes, most of them, uh, but in the core book, all of them. And uh, you don't need to hit any requirements in order to unlock them. No. You, you can. There are ones that can require you to take one or the other of the two paths that you started the game with. Yeah, a lot of the Paragon level stuff is you can do... You know, like, this is a generic, any of a ranger can take this. Or this is one that's specifically for a two-weapon fighter ranger. or yeah, as opposed to a bow ranger. Yeah. Which, of course, was the ranger division in the core book, was, was you could be the uh, I-, I wield two swords or the I wield a cool bow. Yep. And that was uh, where a lot of them went. You'd either have a generic or you'd have ones that were based on a specific path or... 
Uh, later on, they had ones based on your race. Yeah, they had species ones. They had ones that were accessible by multiple ra- uh, classes. But one thing they never had was stat requirements or skill requirements. Well, I don't, maybe some of them had skill requirements. I Not in the player's handbook. That's what we're going to stick to. Yeah. Okay. That's why we're also not talking about the artificer or the sword mage. No. Yeah. Uh, okay. So... Uh, these give you a whole host of new abilities and kind of focus your character towards a goal. Uh, for example, one of the warlord choices is ta- is battle captain, uh, which is basically the tactical warlord taken to a logical extreme. You've become really, really good at yelling orders to your party. Yep. Uh, almost all the powers it gets, and it only gets three new abilities. Uh, one new encounter, one new utility, and one new daily. Um, I believe sometimes that... No, that's right. Uh, okay, uh, and those are at levels 11, 16, and 20 that you pick up those new abilities, respectively. Uh, and then, plus, it comes with a couple of new static bonuses. A modifier to the what, what, what your critical damage does, uh, and then so sort of a flat bonus to something. Maybe it's to a skill check, maybe it's to a type of abil- uh, attack. Uh, I think you also get a benefit that automatically triggers, whenever you spend something we haven't mentioned yet about 4th Edition, your action point. Yeah, action points are... A very interesting thing in this game in that uh, you would get an action point once every couple encounters, Mm -hmm. and action points could be spent to get an extra standard action for the round. Yes. Which means you could do two attacks in a round. It's how, essentially, you would set up a combo. Yeah, you'd alpha strike something. Or really just go go nuts on some enemy. It, it, it's also a great way to make up for lost time if you feel bad for missing with something big. Oh, yeah. If you're yeah. like, I do a daily and I fuck up and didn't hit. Well, I'm going to use an action point and most things would give you a bonus for using an action point. Yes. So it uh, might be your next attack is more accurate or after you use an action point, your next attack does more damage or you gain temporary hp for using it yeah or when you spend an action point you can shift two squares which shifting by the way because fourth edition is an all square based movement game is moving without being attacked by anything for it's it's free movement basically uh or when you use an action point nominate an enemy in your line of or an ally in your line of sight and they gain a d6 temporary hit points that kind of thing yep so basically it's it's a benefit that again strengthens your role uh in this case uh aimed the way of your your uh paragon path whenever you do something super heroic with your action point. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's what a Paragon Path is. You continue leveling in both your Paragon Path and your original path until you hit level 21, at which point you unlock your Epic Destiny. And Epic Destinies were your high-end, ridiculous nonsense characters. So you'd be your Archmages or your, you know, uh, liches. You could turn into a lich. Yeah, or... there's a whole bunch of these. Uh, a lot of these are more generic. Like, you don't need to necessarily be from one particular uh, type. They, they can be based on your role. Like, there are some that are for martial. There are some that are for arcane. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could get something like, what are you? I'm the immortal trickster. Yeah. And, yeah, Rogue probably plays into that fairly well. But you can do that with things like, oh, I'm, an, I'm a bard that turned into a, an immortal trickster exactly. or whatever. Uh, these don't give you that much. They give you one new power that you're eventually going to get, a level 26 power, and it can be an encounter or a daily. But it's mostly just sort of static benefits that yes. you get that are rad. The coolest one is at level 30, you get what it's your, your mode of immortality, they call it, which is things like when you would die, you don't die, and instead you reappear the next day. Yeah, or, I mean, uh, there's... 
it depends on what you are. So, yeah. like, the trickster is you show back up after you had died, and you're like, oh, that wasn't me. I tricked you. I fooled you all yeah. into thinking that was me. But my favorite one was probably if you turn into an archfey, which was one of the options. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I turn into a weird, like, fairy king or queen. Mm-hmm. And you from the future comes through and saves you from dying. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, hello, I'm you from the future. Yeah, I'll need your clothes, boots, and motorcycle. Wouldn't that be weird if that was the story of Terminator? That that was just that that, that the Terminator was just that one biker from the future. Yeah, it was just <laughs> that guy. He's like, hey, I need your clothes, boots, and motorcycle because I miss give, them. If you don't give them to me, you will die. Haha, <laughs> 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 fooled you. I'm actually a trickster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, these basically represent kind of your your story to- towards how your character retires. Because at level 30, after you finish killing off Lolth and, you know, the, the, the biggest named Orcus and all the other really big named demons that are published in the, the books. The Demogorgon. The Demogorgon. What, do you, what else are you doing at this point? You're just sort of wanking off. So these, these paths gives you a, a graceful way to, to say how your character ended their story. Oh, yeah. Oh, you passed forth into myth and legend as the greatest battle commander of all time. Or you got so powerful in being a magic guy that you just sort of ascend to a plane of magic you were so heroic in the eyes of the gods that they transubstantiated you into a constellation in the sky <laughs> that kind of cool shit right yeah it's a great way to kind of know that your character superhero their way out of the game and you know it gives you if you do happen to play that way and then start a new game you're like oh what do you have this world has the legend of this character mm-hmm. so Which it's like fun oh yeah i'm a fighter and everyone knows about you know my old fighter and it's basically like the legend of Hercules. Oh, yeah. So that's that's great. So uh, feats. This game has feats. You get one every third level. Is that right? I forget. I think it's every third level. Yeah. Every fourth level, you get a stat bonus. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, fighters no longer get a feat every other level as well, of course, because why would they need them? They have all those cool powers instead. Exactly. So that's that's a huge difference. Feats are... The, originally, the idea behind feats in this edition of the game was supposed to be that they were more valuable individually because there's no way to buy more of, or to get more of them. Uh, in, in actuality, they are very similar to third edition feats. They are probably the weakest design choice in here as far as we didn't really change anything. In a game that was very streamlined and player-facing, <laughs> the feats were just sort of like... Hey, did you want to have the ability to speak another language? Here it is. How about a plus two to two somewhat related skills or a plus three to one skill of your choice? Oh, boy. Now, now, does that mean that there aren't good ones? Oh, no. Some of them are absolutely 100% vital to the game, and that's why there's all those character option build chains. And that's also why there's a problem with this game Mm -hmm. of the math which they sort of fucked up in that you actually need to get expertise in order to math out. That's correct. In order to properly hit the monsters with a scale of progression that the monsters have in the game, you need a little bit more to hit than the game normally gives you. To, To fix this, they released, unfortunately, feats. So they were like, whoops, sorry, spend some of your character's resources you were already spending on something else or you're going to suck a little bit. Literally every single character in the game needs to take expertise because it's the plus one per uh, tier you're at. And it was even worse in the beginning because there wasn't an expertise to hit with spells and implements. So that meant that fighters could take expertise and get up to the math level that the game assumed they'd be at. Casters could not. 
Yeah. And eventually they released it to implement expertise ability. But really what they should have just done is, you know, whoops, sorry, everyone gets plus one to hit at the following two levels of, of the game. You get one at, plus, at level five and one at level 16. Great. Now you're at the correct levels and everything's going to be fine. Whoops, we screwed up the math. We're sorry. Yeah. Now, it, there's two ways you can take this argument. And there's a similar argument in the monster manual, which is that the first monster manual math the monsters wrong. It gave them twice as many hit points as they should have. And gave them too little damage they were doing. So fights were both harmless and took forever. Yeah, it was essentially you'd end up in the third manual they put out. They were like, just double the damage and half the hit points. Well, the the third manual actually had everything mathed out Mm -hmm. to be, you know, fairly quick and dangerous without being, you know, ridiculous. Some of the first edition, the first monster manual monsters, though, are straight up trash. They'd be like, what do you have? I have 800 hit points. And when you bloody me, when you reduce me to 400 hit points, I will use my bloodied action, which is to gain 300 hit points. Yeah. You'd be like, ugh, this is so boring. It was a slog, and the only reason that you ended up using resources at all to fight them is mostly because it went on so long that you're like, I'm going to use a daily just because... I've used my at will 20 times in a row now. Or because it's 9.45 p.m. and you're pretty sure you're not going to play another encounter, so you might as well use all your abilities. Yeah. It, and that was that was a problem in the first Monster Manual. Now, that is a real legitimate problem. Do you want to transfer away from just talking about the book and talking about the people that talk about this book? Well, I guess we're already at a full fucking hour of talking about this, so yes, let's yeah, do let's that. Yeah, let's talk about them for an sure. hour then. So it, it is, okay, well, let's transition into the one that we were already doing. Uh, so what we're going to talk about now is common complaints about 4th about edition, the actuality of those complaints, and then real issues with 4th edition. Yeah. So, one of the common complaints about 4th edition, the monster manual sucked. This is true. The first and second monster manuals had bad math, and the monsters in them were slow and took forever to fight. That was... One of the things that if you got turned away from the game when you first started playing 4th edition and your complaint was, oh, fights take too long. Yes, and I don't like the map. I, that's that's something there's no getting around. 3rd edition had a map, too, so fuck you if you think it didn't. Oh, yeah. Everyone um, who was like, line in the sand. This game forces you to play a miniatures game. And I'm like, every D&D wants you to play a miniatures game. At the very least, 3rd edition straight up has multiple points in the book where it tells you you will absolutely need a map in miniatures. Yeah. And all of its spells do damage based on squares and, and, and uh, five-foot steps. So, you know, if you're going to be like, no, 3rd edition was theater of the mind, up yours. That's, no. that's It's just that simple. No edition is theater of the mind go fuck yourself yeah so but okay complain about the monster manual yes legit now here's something weird about this fourth edition might go down in history as the only edition that during its edition time lifeline was like whoops we fucked up here's a fix that yeah. made the only D that tried now people are like well third fourth edition was so bad that they had to release fixes and i'm like yeah second edition was so bad that they didn't <laughs> <laughs> At least fourth was like, whoops, sorry, here's some fixes. Oops, now, all berries. Now, some of those fixes were bad. Uh, you know, feats that would fix the math of the game were a dumb idea. They should have really mea culpa that and just given people straight plus ones and not tried to fix it in dumb patch feats. Feats should be reserved for cool character power ability. Well, I mean, it wasn't even a patch. It was there in the main book. It just didn't matter. Well, they had to... Yeah, you're, you're right. It, but, they, but they had to add, like, the implement expertise feat and so on. So there were patch feats that they had put in there they shouldn't have done. Uh, okay. Now, they did fix it in the Monster Manual math. The uh, I think the Dark Sun Creature Catalog, the Monster Manual 3, and the Creature Vault, uh, or the Monster Vault, all use an updated math that makes the monsters way more dangerous and way more fun to fight. Yeah. Uh, now, they also released fixes. That, there's something you can look up really easily called the Monster Manual on a card. Yeah, it is a 
way that you can do the math for any given monster type. So if you're like, what is this? Uh, it's a fifth level lurker. All right, here's the math. Here's what their bonus to hit. Here's their defenses. This is all you need to know. Here's their HP. Go to town. Go look up whatever powers you want a lurker has in the book and just modify their damage totals to whatever you want them to be and reskin it and go to town. And if you can't just reskin it to make sense, then quit being the DM because you're fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get mean in this back half, John. <laughs> the back half is real mean at everyone that doesn't like 4th Ed. Yeah, that's that's the plan here. Uh, what would you say is a common complaint you always heard about 4th Edition? I mean, we may as well do the elephant in the room, which is it's just wow for babies. Tabletop wow for babies. Okay, so is this true? No. Uh, I mean, on, in it, an aspect, yes. Does it borrow things from the MMO design? Yes, and that's good. Mm-hmm. Because... I mean, let's be clear. People loved MMOs in 2008. This was not a bad idea. Also, MMOs basically just stole entirely from RPGs to make the MMOs. This is just the RPG stealing back from them. Yes. So the the more common ones you heard for why this is an MMO are the following: uh, the whole Holy Trinity thing, where tanks generate aggro. The people DM people who purported to play smart DMs. Your Tucker's Cobalt fans, basically, were like, I fucking hate this because my monsters are reacting to things the players are doing instead of to things that I, the GM, who knows better and knows how to play a smart monster, would have the monster do. Oh, yeah. Well, people hated that. It was one of those things where you'd look at the, uh, the field of battle and the players were allowed to affect things. Mm -hmm. And it would be like, oh, I can move your monster around. I can make it so that he's not effective if he goes and tries to ignore the entire front line of dudes in his face and using the reaction and immediate the immediate reaction and uh whatever the other one is the immediate response abilities i can punish a monster for doing something either right before or right after he does it uh so play so dms didn't like that and it, it, it let them feel like they're maybe playing more like the ai of uh of an mmo the problem is it's way smarter design because up until now they've always been like oh uh fighters exist to protect the squishy wizards how yeah. How do they do that? Oh, really? Because this guy just ran around my fighter and then jumped on top of the wizard and murdered him. Yeah. Up until 4th edition, the basic concept be- behind uh, Protect the Wizard was a gentleman's agreement. Oh, yeah. It was always just, well, my fighter's already facing this guy, so he should fight me. Yeah. And the DM would be like, well, that is definitely a fair thing to assume would happen, but there was no rule for it, and people who were playing, like the Tucker's Kobolds I mentioned earlier, which is some guy who was like, what if Kobolds used, like, Marine SEAL tactics, or what Navy SEAL tactics, or whatever? They'd be really annoying and hard to fight. No, yeah. but what if they used Marine SEAL tactics? Yeah, what if they used the tactics of Harbor SEALs? <laughs> what if a bunch of Harbor SEALs showed up and were like, <laughs> but they were Kobolds? That'd be really weird if they made that noise, because that's what sea lions do. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's why they're harbor seals. They're the Navy harbor seals. <laughs> it's because they're sea lions who are harboring some seals. <laughs> you see, in the ocean, there's Nazis, and they're trying to get these harbor seals. Now, the sea lions are harboring them. <laughs> God damn it. What? All right, so so the fiction of this. <laughs> no, we got to finish with the thing. Um, the other thing that people said made it look like an MMO is that you could take all those powers you had when your character was like, oh, I have all these little powers written out on oh, yeah, cards. Oh, yeah, they were like, oh, it's just everyone has cooldowns now. I'm like, motherfucker, you always had cooldowns. That is the worst part. The fact that every other edition also had cooldowns is just that it didn't have a templated language structure for how they existed. How often could a paladin in, in third edition lay on hands? 
Why, once per day. It was a daily power, you big dipshits. Oh, yeah. I mean, the same thing with, like, oh, what is this? I can do flurry of blows three times a day. Okay, great. Okay, how many encounters do you usually get in a day? Oh, is it three? It's an encounter power, you huge baby. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, every single one of these is just the same shit you always had. It's just now it's been templated so you can see it. Yeah. They basically took the curtain and moved it back so you could look at the gears, Mm -hmm. and everyone went, oh my goodness. I hate these gears. (laughs) Oh no. Get that giant floating wizard head back in here. I'm uncomfortable. I hate that guy behind a curtain. I want to talk (laughs) to the big wizard head. (laughs) That's basically it. Uh, So... While the game had certain aspects that were similar to MMOs of the time, it basically took the things about them that were great. Uh, Oh, yeah. It it took uh, class balance. The fact that no one feels bad when their turn comes around because they don't have anything important to contribute. Yeah, there was never a point because of the at-will structure of this where it came around to your turn and you were just like, I swing a sword. That uh, good, great. My turn is done. I don't affect anything. I just maybe deal damage. I literally remember seeing people complain that that didn't exist, that you couldn't play a fighter who just swings a sword every turn and nothing else because they were like, well, now the game's too complicated for my little brother. This mythical little brother is so amazing to me. Mm -hmm. I was at some point a shitty little idiot playing D&D for the first time. And if you were like, hey, man, do you want to play this fighter? You roll a d20 and maybe deal damage and maybe don't. That's it. I would tell you to go fuck yourself. It's basically... People mythologize the ramp of difficulty to when they achieve some system mastery in in content. Like, uh, they go, well... It took me years to get so good at Dungeons and Dragons, and I remember the years of Dungeons and Dragons I had to play to get good at it, and I remember them as being way harder than they actually are. Yeah, and and that's and then people who come up behind them are like, I want to play D and D. Oh, slow down, Mister. To get as good as me, you're going to have to earn your fun. For now, why don't you play a character that rolls a D twenty every time we tell him to, and that's all he does. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it as well came down to. Casters were able to affect the narrative in interesting ways. Mm-hmm. You could change the battlefield. You could change the rules of the encounter. You could uh, teleport. You could do these things. You Casters could- shifted permission. I'm sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to interrupt there. Casters shifted permission from the player or, or from the from the DM to the player. Yeah, they were allowed to go. Normally, a rogue has to say, "Hey, can I do this?" A fighter has to say, "Hey, can I do that?" Okay. Make a roll to see if you climb. Make a roll to see if you swim. Whatever. Mm-hmm. The wizard got to go, hey, DM, I'm going to tell you that I do this, and then I do it. That's correct. And in 4th edition, everyone got those powers. Everyone was able to go, hey, DM, I'm going to tell you that I take everyone in a three-square radius around me and pull them in, and you can't say, no, you don't. Yeah. And that was a huge change that a lot of people took umbrage to because they thought that realizing that playing casters was the smart choice was some sort of mythical gateway they had passed through, like in fucking never-ending story. Oh, yeah. They're they're like, oh, to- I, I gained the supreme knowledge, and only I should have that. I managed to pass between those two booby statues without getting lasered. None else may pass behind me. <laughs> I should get a luck dragon for this. 
That's what I want. Yeah. Also, I really want to go <laughs> chase some bullies into a dumpster. <laughs> if I could just do that. But the truth is, everyone had figured that out by then. No one was as special as they thought they were. And these power, the uh, the flattening of the curve of 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 who picks what was great because now it meant that you could pick a fighter, and, and the fighter no longer existed for this mythical little brother person who who, who I assume is the one legged puppy from Homestar Runner. Oh no! At this point, it was you pick a fighter, and you can do awesome tactical combat nonsense mm-hmm. like again one of our friends in the game we were playing had a fighter that was like oh no i locked this motherfucking battlefield down yeah and he was super proud of it every time we went through a fight he'd be like i had an amazing time doing this fight because my fighter got to do all these cool things and i will never stop singing the praises of the warlord that i got to play or the cleric that our, our good buddy russ got to play i loved playing a warlock hell i picked powers for my warlock specifically to combo off of our fighter's powers. I know. I did the same thing with the cleric. The cleric and the warlord tag team was ridiculous. And you would think that shouldn't be the case because they were both leader roles. That didn't really matter as much as people made it out that it would. Yeah. Um, so it was it was amazing fun. It, it, the game the game definitely plays well and, re- and is rewarding to play. Uh, another uh, consistent complaint. Let me hit you with one. Uh, this game does not allow you to use your imagination. That is so wrong. And I... I can't understand it because 4th Edition is the game that I have seen the most reskinning for. Mm-hmm. The most changes to how a power works. I mean, just in very base level stuff of, oh, I describe how this power works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my warlock made a deal with the Fae. Mm-hmm. And his whole thing was... All of his powers were based on the seasons. seasons. Yeah, yeah. I love so that it'd be character. like, oh, depending on what was going on, my power might leave a trail of frost or a swirl of autumn leaves or something. And that was a way you could just do it just by reskinning, and that's the low end of yeah. what you can do. The high end, one of my favorite descriptions was the Lazy Lord. Oh, yeah. Lazy Lord's amazing. So Lazy Lord, the basic concept behind this is you play the Warlord. You didn't take any powers where you yourself made any attacks. You described your character as a fat old king on a palanquin being carried around by, like, some servants, and every time he, he affected the battlefield, it was him commanding servants to come into the battlefield and push things around and move stuff and then vacate the premises. Oh, yeah. He was like... Joffrey, go push that man. Yeah. Or soldiers, I, I want you to form up and go that way. And then he just he just stand up on his palanquin waving his arm like a fat old frogman and just controlling the battlefield. It didn't change a thing. None of your numbers changed. But the uh, the descriptions you, you came up with, uh, just for practice, John, before we did this, I spent a couple days, uh, or a few hours a couple days ago, reskinning all of the fighter powers to what I just called T-Rex <laughs> so I just took the fighter and reskinned it as I am a T-Rex now. And then I was like, oh, well, what about races? Oh, those are, uh, I don't know, eras or, or additional uh, evolutionary modifications. Uh, so it was like... I'm a T-Rex with a fire breath weapon. Yeah, exactly. I'm a T-Rex with a fire breath or I'm a T-Rex that can suddenly teleport. And I was like, okay, all the fighter powers are perfectly fine if you reskin them as various types of chomps or stomps. Or, or roars that, that either scare people or or, uh, or bring people in through stomping so that they kind of shake towards you. Yeah. And it was fine. You could easily rescan anything into anything. And I, I know there are people who are going to complain about that, too, that powers are generic enough that you can reskin them into whatever, but it's fun. The other reason that people say that this game denies you the capability to use your imagination is because in previous editions, you didn't have any choices. Huh. So they'd be like, well, I can either do the one thing my character can do, which is swing this longsword, or I can describe a scenario where I kick a wagon full of melons and then ride a melon like a, like a seal rides a ball until I find a chandelier. Here's the thing. You can do that in every edition. 
Oh, yeah. You could do it in fourth. There's a whole page of the DMG dedicated to telling you how to do it and what it does. It's just, it can easily be, do all that, then say that you're using Tide of Iron at the end of it, and maybe the DM feels like giving you a bonus, or maybe it's just fun creative storytelling. Yeah, I mean, if you do the whole, I swing from a chandelier and then drop down and I plant both feet on the chest of this guy and then, you know, do an attack, you can Tide of Iron for that, and you're like, what did you do? Well, I swung on a chandelier, kicked a dude in the chest, shoved him back, and then went after him. Yeah, and if you want your power to do something different, to push someone a set number of squares or whatever, there's a whole page get dedicated to how to do that and what it does and what the rules you have to make are. It's all in there, just the same as it was in every previous edition. The only difference is an illusion of choice. In old games, you felt like you could make up whatever you want because you had no other options. Oh, yeah. In this game, you have that option plus a bunch of options. Yeah, you don't have to sit there trying to come up with elaborate schemes for how you're useful Mm -hmm. because you're always useful. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Oh, what else was a common complaint about this edition? Uh, let's see. What else did people hate about that? I mean, we sort of already touched on the weeaboo fight and magic. Yeah, the fact that people didn't like that fighters uh, basically could do things. The, I mean... The shout your hand back on oh, thing that's a good Warlord. One. We, we can definitely talk about that. That's a common complaint, which is not only common, but it's been echoed by people who write other editions and this edition of D&D. Mike Merles, in particular, has famously quoted the shouting a hand back on is stupid. That's why I don't like Warlords thing. And I'm like, no one has ever cut anyone's hand off in the history of D&D yeah, that's, unless you were specifically doing it as a description. It, it, or if you were adding rules to the game in the first place. If you had added your own custom critical hit damage table where hand severing was a thing, then yeah, maybe it would seem weird. Here's the problem. No, you're right. People can't shout hands back on. That is absolutely correct. It is impossible. You can look at a severed hand all you want, yell at it, and it will not reattach itself to a stump of an arm. You know what else won't work is casting a spell at it. That's also not real. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so ridiculous to me. And I'm like, most of the hit point stuff in D&D is just a measure of, okay, how much are you able to fight? How... Uh, like, Hale and Hardy, are you, do you have the stamina, whatever, and the uh, Warlord healing is basically giving someone the pat on the ass and telling them to go back out there and try harder. It's the rub some dirt on it yeah. of, of healing. Where, like, hey, fucking walk it off. Yeah, exactly. It's basically playing a football coach in a lot of situations, and, and for some reason, people really took umbrage to that. How much umbrage? Well, Warlord's not in 5th edition. Nope. And could it even be? Would they have the, uh, the the structure or structure to put it back in there? I mean, probably, but they're never going to try. Oh no! I mean, you can put Warlord back in Fifth Edition. It's just what is it now? Oh, we get a D six and you get a bonus to hit or some shit. I don't know. We're very boring. <laughs> yeah. So uh, another common complaint about the edition: you need miniatures. We already touched on that. That you needed miniatures in previous editions. This one just codified it and gave you the rules for how it worked. Yeah. That's the only difference. Previous editions didn't even give you that, and for some reason, they're better for it. <laughs> for some reason, believing that you could play this game without miniatures, turning the whole game into a mother may I for mm-hmm. the DM, I think is why DMs were so pissed off, because they're like, oh, I had absolute control. Because if someone said, hey, if I fireball, how many people do I hit? They could sit there and stroke their beard and go, you hit three people you could hit four but then you must also hit the bard yeah Mm -hmm. with this you could see what was going on so well and have such a good level of tactical knowledge that you're like oh good i don't have to play this weird mother may i game of well what if i go five feet to the left oh well then you can no just 
just let me play the fucking game. It's a game. <laughs> it's true. Um, okay, well, why don't we change tactics? Let's talk about what the actual complaints about 4th edition are. Not the ones that you've heard on the internet that are stupid, but the ones that are legitimate. Okay, so we've touched on the wizard sort of having a problem with controller. The mm-hmm. controller wasn't really well specified. One of the big problems with it being that uh, they said, oh, you do AoE as part of your control. The issue with that is you could look at the cleric, and the cleric could do AoE radiant damage. And smart AoE radiant damage was a thing. And that was the problem was arcane damage, if you did an AoE, it would hit everything in it. So you mm-hmm. have the classic, I accidentally blew up the fighter with my fireball. Yeah. Radiant damage from a cleric, if I did flame strike, say as a cleric, uh, it automatically only hits enemies. So, unfortunately, there was no bonus to doing it as a wizard. There was nothing in the arcane power type that was specifically better for doing AoE that it meant you should suffer the penalty of hitting other people. Yeah. Uh, Another common complaint, or not common complaint necessarily, but I think real complaint about 4th edition. The skill system is basically 3rd edition skill system cleaned up. There's less skills... And they're a little easier. And then they introduce the concept of the skill challenge, which is just like, hey, you need to roll like five skills in a row as a party. And some skills you roll may add bonuses to, to future skills you may roll. And you may have to roll this many numbers of successes before this many numbers of failures, or you don't find out where the wizard's torch is buried. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that. Oh, no, my wizard's torch. <laughs> so, uh,. So that's what a skill challenge is. These are both, you know, innovative, or that's an innovative idea and all, but it's boring. The Yeah, the issue is the idea of going through this like, oh, well, you're having this meeting, and instead of it just being, you roll diplomacy and see if you do well, you're like, oh, it's a skill challenge. First you have to do, you know, a feat of strength because the king is worried about whether or not you're strong enough to do whatever. And then you roll diplomacy, but then you also have to roll perception to see if you can tell that the king is trying to do this. Roll disguise because the king has heard that there's a gang of ruffians in town he thinks you might be, and so on. And it's just a bunch of failure chances, basically. Well, the interesting thing of if it was like I go through and I failed at this, but I succeeded at that, I succeeded at this and then failed at that, Okay, this is what it turns out to be. Yeah, at the it end. could change the, the the way success or failure might look. Yeah, uh, which is which is interesting. The problem is that there's it's not very dynamic. You well, just, it was just who has the best bonus to this? All right, he rolls for this. Who can roll to assist him? All right, you do that. That's all it was. It was like, all right, you guys can make an Arcana check to study in the library. I have a plus sixteen to Arcana. I will make that roll. I have a plus twelve to Arcana. I will roll to assist him in making that roll. Yeah, it. I mean, skills have never been a particularly amazing thing in D&D. No. And the skill challenges, they wanted so badly to make them matter, Mm -hmm. and it just didn't. And there were ways that it could have done. Uh, One of the things I've seen people consistently do is try to make skill challenges more dramatic, or or, uh, relevant and dramatic in 4th edition. We did a game once where where we replaced an entire combat with a skill challenge, because we were just like, ah, you guys have to fight your way through thousands of dudes in some army that you're all infinitely stronger than, so you can just skill challenge your way to killing like 40 or 50 of them at a time. Just tell me the way that you get through. You're like, oh, I got past these 40 guys because I stealthed, and I just sort of ran in between them and they never saw me. Great. Done. Yeah. That kind of thing. So there are ways you can make them dynamic and interesting, but as the core book presents them, they're not great. They may still be the best D&D skill system up to that point, but it's still yeah. they're ne- they've never been good and they never really will be. Uh, okay, 
the fact that rituals were strictly arcane was probably a real problem. They, they went out of their way to make rituals open for everybody, but it's a really high investment to give up a bunch of feats and stuff for a fighter to bother with this. Yeah, I mean, you have to give up a feat just to be able to do it. You need to set intelligence just to do it. And you still had to roll, so you'd need to be like, oh, if I don't have points in, like, Arcana or whatever, I need to actually invest in that. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, certain, like, casters are going to be better at doing it, and that's fine. It just meant, why would you even open it up? I mean, the fighter yeah. could if they wanted to spend, like, all right, I get the feat to get ca- uh, ritual casting. Then I spend another feat, and I do it just to get a bonus to my arcana. Now I go ahead and I put skill points into arcana for some reason. Now, they eventually realized this and released a kind of fix to it, which were called martial practices, which were basically rituals for the rest of us. Uh, there's, they're not enough of them, and they aren't that interesting in what they do. They can do things like, I'll, arm a, I'll alarm a camp by stringing up tin cans. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. So, okay. Yeah, that really alarmed the camp when I did that, by the way. <laughs> like, why is he doing that? Oh, my God. This is the distant past. No one has invented tin cans. What the fuck is that? It says <laughs> beans on the side? What is... What? What? I'm so confused. <laughs> What's a Campbell's? <laughs> and I'm only a humble T-Rex. <laughs> I, a humble T-Rex, cannot understand this. <laughs> so, uh... Uh, other things that are very real complaints about this edition. We already talked about how the feat system is a little bloated and also used too much for being fixes. Yeah. Uh, it also is the only part of this game that feels like third edition where you had to plan everything out way in advance. Yeah. Uh, you can do a lot of care op building in this game where you're like, like when I made that monk for your epic game who was like, what do you need to have? Well, I multi-class, which you didn't talk about this game's multi-classing at all. Well, it didn't you, show up in yeah. the player's handbook. Uh, it sort of did. You have that, that first feat you could take, the feat of, of I've have I have training from another class and I get one of its at wills as an encounter power or whatever. Uh, you can you can do that where you're like I'm a fighter but I'm slightly trained in in warlockery. Yeah. Um. It, but uh, my that monk I ended up making for your like level twenty six game had like levels in fifteen different things and the whole point was just to make it so we could move twenty seven squares every turn. Yeah. Like that was just his gimmick. That was his gimmick. But so so there are ways there are still like gimmick builds you can do that are a little oh, complicated yeah. and pretty much require the internet. Well, it's it's all things like. Especially now, there are a couple tricks, obviously, that, you know, there's, uh, like, the dragon articles or little supplement things that they put out where they fucked up and <laughs> didn't realize that if you did this, it would screw everything up. Mm-hmm. Like, the classic, I teleport the sun into the earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was one of the one of the prestige path or uh, epic destinies or something, let you teleport anything in line of sight it to was, where you wanted it. Well, yeah, there was a warlock plow- power that let you teleport things. And then there was some uh, feat that you got from a specific paragon path in a dragon article that said uh, your effective distance is now line of sight instead of, like, ten squares. So you just go, oh, I look at the sun and I teleport it and I teleport it here and I murder everyone, including (laughs) myself. (laughs) Yeah. So so there were a couple of little hiccups like that, but when aren't there? I mean, we're talking about a game, the, the one game removed from pun pun. Yeah, I mean... You're going to have dumb shit like that regardless, but you, I mean, you did have, like we mentioned, the t- the twin strike thing. There were a few things that they had to kind of errata later on to be like, oh, we, uh, we goofed. We goofed a little on this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, I, I, I know there's more consistent actual complaints about, about fourth edition that are, that are worth bringing up. I, I, but I'm blanking. God, on- we haven't even talked about the fucking, 
the four E uh, computer program that you could get. Oh, that the, was the, rad. the character builder. Yeah, uh, the character builder, which was supported at the time when fourth edition came out, was the most amazing and useful thing ever. It could generate your character class for you. Well, it was just you could go through and anything you wanted to do, it would do the math for you. Yeah, and, you and pick your stuff. It would give you a printout sheet of actually, power cards. Yeah, that reminds me of another actual complaint about fourth edition, a legitimate complaint that fifth edition, and this is a rare, rare thing. This is a real complaint that's legitimate about fourth edition that fifth edition actually tried to fix. My goodness. Instead of being like, how do you fix fourth edition? Pretend it never happened. Don't, <laughs> yeah, that's. This was, and that is uh, that fourth edition had way too many fiddly plus ones and minus ones, and you can't do this until this happens. Effects clearing or, or, or splash all over the table all the time. Oh yeah, I mean you you would have to be like, all right, I have a plus one to hit that guy. He's got a minus one to hit. He is dazed, but also he is bloodied, and you just like have uh, these little flags sticking out of him. And also the fact that you could e- easily get a plus two to hit people by flanking, which was to have people diametrically yeah. opposed from you on, on a monster, meant that almost every fight turned into a conga line. Because <laughs> you were like, all right, we gotta, that'll, that'll let us... I get f- behind this guy. All right, well, another monster gets behind you, and now he's flanking you with the other monster. I'll get behind that monster, now I'm flanking him. And that was pretty <laughs> much how every fight went. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, Fifth edition tried to fix this by introducing the concept of uh, advantage. They're like, let's take out all these fiddly plus ones and minus ones and replace it with, if you have advantage for any reason, you now have advantage. You can't get double advantage. Yeah. If you have advantage, you roll 2d20 and take the high one. If you have disadvantage, you roll 2d20 and take the low one. If you have both, you do nothing. You just roll a d20. Smart. Good job, fifth edition. The problem is, immediately after they did that, they started adding, adding little fiddly plus ones and minus ones. Yeah, they're like, look, this is our basic system. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Anyway, you get a plus one to hit, and you're, you're like, oh, no, no. No, you <laughs> no, you weren't supposed to do that. You got it right. <laughs> you were even, so close. Even Advantage, to be to be realistic, was stolen from 4th Edition directly because it's the core power for one of the classes. Yeah, the Avenger had that I mark a guy, and now I roll 2d20 and take the better against him. And honestly, the Avenger was probably the worst striker that they ever wrote. Oh, yeah, because he, he didn't have garbage. Because he didn't get a damage bonus. Instead, he got, I roll 2d20, and he was accurate, but he didn't do more damage. Oh, he was he was a crit fisher. Yeah. You were like, what do you do? Oh, I build around crits. It's all I can do. Yeah. <laughs> so, the Avenger, by the if you're wondering what that even is, it was kind of like a holy... Oh, not the Avenger, the... Uh, Yes, is the, it the Avenger. Avenger. Oh, okay. What am, oh, I'm, I'm thinking of the Avenger and the Invoker. I always get those two confused for some reason. No. The Avenger's basically like a holy assassin type. He run, He's a dervish. It's it's pretty much the, what are you? I'm the uh, divine version of a fighter. Yeah, well, a divine version of a rogue, I guess. I kill for, for God, basically. <laughs> I kick ass for the Lord! Because wouldn't a divine fighter be the mighty paladin? No, that's a fighting cleric. Uh, the other thing about 4th edition that I actually really loved is the paladin is oath to whatever they want, and their power comes from whatever you say they do. it does. And it doesn't matter. And, and there's no, I can make this paladin fall by, by catching him oh in a dumb God, logical trap. Didn't, f- fuck, there's so much shit about this. They changed the alignment system. They did. We got to talk about the new alignment system. It's just good, lawful good, mm-hmm. neutral, evil, chaotic evil. Yeah. That's it. Five alignments. And even to this day, you'll still see people arguing about what the four fourth edition, or the five fourth edition alignments are in the old second edition alignment grid axis. Ugh. That thing has broken the brains of millions. I don't know why people are so fucking tied into it. Because I was like, oh, that's fine. You're either a good person or you're a good person that also really likes order. Mm-hmm. You're sort of neutral, which doesn't mean you're true neutral like the old school. It's just, what is this? Oh, you mostly would do good if you could. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, 
when push comes to shove, you can be peer pressured into doing bad stuff and you because most, you're a human. And you mostly look out for number one. And then two kinds of evil, because we don't need all these evils for... It, 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 Except for people like aligning themselves, it's just a fucking sorting hat these days. I mean, I saw a whole bunch of people that were friends of ours on on uh, Twitter just the other day, being like, uh, I, "I I normally tend towards neutral evil, but I know that there are times where I feel more like a chaotic good." What about the rest of you? And I was like, "Ah, oh, stop! Just just stop! It doesn't. It, it, why don't you just tell everybody that you're INTJ and go on with your life, huh? Huh? or that you're a Griffin Claw?" <laughs> If you start doing combined houses, you can go fuck yourself, by the way. <laughs> I th- the best thing to do with the combined houses is to incorporate the American houses as well. <laughs> ah. I'm a griff wudgie. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> or I guess you could be a huffle wudgie. That might be the best possible thing. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, those those alignments are useless. The old The old nine grid axis is just some philosophical bullshit for getting into a long, boring argument about even the fourth edition alignment system is completely unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, it was... Again, mostly just there because they needed the alignments a, to be there. It was a sacred cow, just like the stats, just like the old 3 through 18s. It was a sacred cow, and you're not allowed to take it out of the game. Yep. You have to keep alignment in. They were they changed it as much as they could, but they could just get rid of it. Nope. They're, they're, but yeah, to be clear, forever, the D&D 9-grid alignment or 5-grid alignment axis is just some, mil, some philosophical mumbo-jumbo you used to argue about fucking Batman. It is... <laughs> it, it is... There could not be anything more irrelevant. If, if you have a villain who's evil and he sometimes follows order because he he struck he likes structure and is evil, I don't care that he's lawful evil. He's one guy. <laughs> uh, good. Yeah. It's not like I need to introduce him to my other lawful evil friends. Sure you do. Because <laughs> you see, they all speak the same language. <laughs> oh, yeah, from first edition. Good times. Ah. Good times had by all. Oh, my God. Have we been speaking for like three hours at this point? What's going on? We're at one and a half. Uh, good. We went longer for first edition than we did for this so far. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. There's so much crap to talk about in this, and I keep going like, but do I want to keep talking about this? I'm not in any hurry. Uh, so, Okay. The second player's handbook would eventually introduce a, bu- a number of things people felt like they might have been missing. Uh, gnomes came f- flooding back into the game with a huge change to the way that they looked. Gnomes, instead of being basically, like, lamer dwarves, which has been kind of their history. Like, what's oh, a gnome? Yeah, what, it's a shittier dwarf. It's a it's a weaker, stupid dwarf with a drunk's nose and a little cone hat. And, and he says Schlitzweitz. And, we, <laughs> and, and we've never known what to do with gnomes, and they shouldn't have been in this game. Well, it was always, what's a gnome? It's a trickster dwarf. Yeah. So what they did with in second edition was they kind of in or, or in fourth edition they kind of incorporated the concept of the shadow realm and the fey realm into which are just dimensions of reality basically yeah. into a little more prominence. So so gnomes were just sort of creatures from the fey. They uh, they were basically like little fairies that lived in the forest and they looked like they honestly kind of looked like the goblins from Pathfinder. <laughs> Like you know what I mean? That's like, not remotely true. No, I mean not green and but they have the, not a big mouth with they do have rows big mouths. Razor sharp teeth. They do have big mouths, and when you see them with their mouths open, they often have sharp teeth. Nah, that's not true. They have big eyes and everything. The only difference is they don't look like little shark people. No, they and they have don't have big speak eyes, and then they have small mouths. <laughs> Whatever. They basically look like they're much wilder, skinnier, uh, more craggy than they used to be. As as, as the you know when every gnome was just David <laughs> the gnome. Uh, they're they've they've they kind of reached. 
imagine them into something that's a little less irritating to play. And then I think the second player's handbook also added the the Azamar reskinned. We get, we get the half orc back. Yeah, the half orc comes rolling back. The Azamar gets reskinned into the Deva. Yeah, uh, and there are a few others in there. But then they also gave us back the Barbarian, the Sorcerer, and the Bard. And the Bard was rad as hell. I fucking loved Bard, by the way. Uh, sorcerer wasn't just a pale wizard imitation. It had been moved from controller to striker. So it was a damaged wizard. If you wanted to play a, a wizard who straight up was like, no, I murder you with deeps. And you could choose either chaos or, or uh, dragon for your, your power source. So they were, they were a whole rad new thing. Yep. Uh, Bard was, you could be Valor or Trickster, I think it was. Uh, it was, one was the psychic bard that was like, I see the future, mm-hmm. and then the other one was the, like, inspiring bard. That's right, yeah. And the bard was great because one of his at-wills was straight up an insult. Oh, yeah. Uh, which He's would like, make what be- do you do? Oh, you don't need a weapon for this. You just straight up go like, hey, you're a little bitch and it does damage. <laughs> so good. And then the third one finally added psionics back in. And honestly, if you're getting into the advanced studies of what was wrong with 4th edition, I think the way that they added psionics was bad because they basically were like, we want to make these guys more modular and uh, give them more choice. So instead of getting encounters and dailies, they just got at-wills and then modifiers to those at-wills that would pop up at the levels when encounters well, yeah, they and dailies. they were like, oh, you get psionic points that you can spend to boost your at-will to do different things. And I'm like, don't do that. The problem was everyone just picked the best at-will because they could use it forever. They didn't. They, they weren't like, oh, I'm going to build an interesting collection of powers. They were like, no, I'm going to make one really good one. <laughs> I don't care that I could have like 15 different at-wills. The one at-will that I always use is this one. Yeah, and then the monk came, came flooding back for some reason as a psionic power type and as a striker. Um, they were very good at, at mobility and uh, hitting people more than once because they had the flurry of blows. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go. Uh, there were there were about a million fun classes that were added to the game. People still complain to this day that they never added a martial controller. Eh. I, I, they almost did because in the third one they added that seeker, which was an archer who was a controller, uh, but he was also he was technically primal. He had the nature power source. Yeah, which I don't care whatever yeah it's oh, fine yeah there were a lot of fun classes there were a lot of fun uh interpretations of, of campaign settings people really really hated the forgotten realms of the fourth edition well yeah because the fourth edition forgotten realms was hey you know forgotten realms and how it's garbage and everything sucks i blew it up fuck you yeah it blows up like three quarters of it it's funny how fifth edition had to basically pretend that de- that never happened because what they did was they took some of the racist or dumb elements of old fourth ed- of old forgotten realms and were like they're not there anymore instead there's dragonborn yeah, uh, what happened? Uh, a meteor hit this entire land, and out of that meteor crawled the dragonborn, and they were cool. It was like uh, a whole section, Karatur, which was the fake Japan of, uh, of, of Forgotten Realms, and Mazdika, which was the fake South America of Forgotten Realms, both of which were, po- oh, ninjas and Aztecs roam these lands. Good and they're, great. They're, they're noble savages all. <laughs> and they're like, no, that, that all t- disappears, and in place is about a half of a planet that had dragonborn on it called, uh, I think, Abiyir. And they were like, now it's Abir Toril. That's that's the new Forgotten Realms. It's two plants smashed together, and there's Dragonborn, and there aren't racial stereotypes. Have fun, kids. Go. And everyone was like, boo. Boo. I boo this. <laughs> I boo this as his DM. <laughs> the SJWs have taken over my D&D. <laughs> so, anyway, that's 4th edition. John, what would you say is your favorite thing about it? Oh, my God. 4th Ed had so much going for it, but I'm going to say my favorite thing was the combo potential. The potential to really work with other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, like I had mentioned, I had the character that took power specifically to work with the fighter. 
Yeah, you and, played as, uh, what was your character, Half Dick Jack, and he had half a dick and he was a warlock, is that right? <laughs> he had yeah. the left half of his dick. Yeah. Because the right half he had traded away for power. <laughs> yeah, sure, that's a, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, I just remember, it's been a long time since we played this game, so I'm, it was Half Dick <laughs> I'm, Jack. I'm really trying, I'm yeah. really trying. I am not, not making a joke. <laughs> no, no, I'm pretty sure that's real. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that you could do things like the warlord and the cleric, or the warlock and the fighter... Having these things where you're like, oh, I can do this power, and by itself, it's useful. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, I can uh, teleport, or I can immobilize a guy, or I can do whatever. That's useful. But when you go, okay, here's what we can do. You set up this power, then I use this power, and then you do this, and it creates a a cool effect. Mm -hmm. And you always feel good when it goes off. Yeah, no, I definitely, uh, uh, as the warlord, because I was a leader, I tried to have something in the repertoire of my character's abilities that helped everyone in the fight in some way. I would have something I would do that would set up uh, his char- or John's character, something that would set up our, our, uh, our fighter, our, our rogue. We had a lot of people in this party because we had two people who alternated playing or DMing. Yeah. And we also had one person who played when he could. <laughs> so there were, there were a lot of players who would pop in, but we usually it was four players. Yeah. But, uh, but every time, we would, we would have a ton of fun because we could set, because e- even if... Uh, if our, our uh, fighter, the the Aladrin fighter who worshipped the Raven Queen, had to step out for a couple of games, and in came this cleric who was like a little goblin man, and, and he was a rat, it wouldn't change the dynamic. We would still be having a lot of fun. The, the, the play still made sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I loved about it is, for the first time, it really felt like the game wanted me to do rad things. Uh, before it was, you could pick a wizard... And feel rad if you were like, oh, I cast this spell and it actually works and we just win. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yay, I'm cool. Yay, I realize that sleep is overpowered for a first level spell. I'm smart. Yeah. But in this, it was like, I can high five with one of my other players and be like, dude, we are so rad. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I picked up that power as a warlord that let me reorganize the initiative track. Like at the start, as an immediate encounter to getting into a fight, I could be like, I'm going to reorganize who goes where in the initiative order. And that was so good because it really let me feel like I was commanding the battle. Well, yeah. And there were so many things that was like, I really need to go first or I really need to go after this guy. Exactly. And it was like, I can do that. I can set that up. Go ahead and shout your request to me and then I will turn this into a battle plan. Yeah, you Lisa got- needs braces. <laughs> Battle plan. Lisa needs braces. Battle plan. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> yeah, the whole thing. My favorite bit about that is it did feel like a good combination between a fun game mm-hmm. to play and a fun social game. Like I could sit there and math out what squares to do and how I would you know, most efficiently use my powers, and that's fun. I can play the game well, mm-hmm. but also I can play the game with people well. Yeah. And that was great. So that was that was my favorite thing about it, is it's the first edition of D&D where I felt like I could high-five the other people at the table. Absolutely. So what would you say is your favorite thing about it? The Warlord. Uh, the concept- oh, I know. Obviously, it's yeah. the Warlord. The concept behind the Warlord was genius. You know, a, a person who commands the flow of the battle it, it, and heals because the, it's the first person, who, the first character, and it's not the last because the Bard worked this way a lot, too, it, that recognized that healing 
doesn't need to be magical lay on hands, a holy light glows and Jesus pops up and, and nods appreciatively <laughs> and gives you a thumbs up and then your arms back on that, that it can just be the fact that hit points have always been your grit and determination and your, your continued will to fight and also the meat that makes up your bones and body. Right. There, it's both of those things is what hit points is. And this is the first class ever to, in, to interact with the half. That's just your resilience and your will to, to, to fight. Yeah. And it was awesome to see that make its way into the game. And and uh, not only that, but it, it, as a leader, it was so different from the other leader in that game, the, in that book, the cleric. The cleric really was focused on healing and supporting the party where the the uh, the warlord was a tactician. And would be like, all right, if you go stand over there, and if you attack at this at that guy, when I tell you to, you get a bonus. Yeah. And then if you hit him, and then you can also hit him if he hits him. And, and it would be like, I feel like I'm setting up battle plans and, and changing the flow of the game. And, and basically, uh, it felt like I was a real party leader, Like even though that was the name of the thing. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it definitely played into everyone's role felt like you were that role exactly and i loved that about the warlord to no end and the reason i would pick that as my favorite instead of saying well the paladin feels like a defender absolutely feels like a really good defender it did really good defense with its marking and and uh the reason it's the warlord is because the warlord's gone now well yeah so mike merles was like i don't like this class i'm gonna put every class in the game back in the game except warlord because warlord's stupid you can't you can't have a leader who's a martial person. You can't shout hands back on. I'm like, no, dude. He made perfect sense. It was an amazing class. Fight me, IRL. <laughs> no, but but really, no, though. for real though. Uh, Mike Merles, our our Twitter address is widely available. Fight me, IRL. <laughs> you are wrong. The warlord's great. I can't believe they left you in charge of this edition. Are you someone's grandson? <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, yes, someone he is someone important's grandson. <laughs> I have to assume so. It's the only way you failed up this hard. Your last name isn't Trump, so it's got to be something else. Uh, so angry. I'm so... Because Warlord was amazing, and then he was like, no, it's stupid. I'm a big dumb idiot, and it's stupid. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing of, like, all the time when you had the, like, oh, the the sword cord. It's like, I went into my backyard, and I tried to catch a mouse in my hand with a cable. It's hard. We've nerfed this. I'm like, fuck you. That was, yeah, that was some Pathfinder That was guy. Pathfinder. Yeah. Pathfinder guy was like, was like, all right, so guys, I know that I added weapon change to the game, so you can, as a, as a free action, flip the weapon back into your hand. But I took a mouse out into the yard, like a computer mouse, and I kept trying to pull it up into my hand, and if I, a fat, lazy RPG writer, can't do it immediately, obviously a well-trained weapon fighter couldn't do it either, so it's a standard action. Yeah, it was the fucking worst. I have no concept of a big old hero. Everyone in this game is basically me with a different outfit on. Well, yeah, and that was that's always been the problem in fucking every game when they're like, oh, wizards can do whatever, but I have a concept of what I could do as a fighter, so you can't do anything else. Yeah, there's always been an issue, a, a disconnect where magic is easier to describe than physical heroism. And if you describe physical heroism too strongly, you're doing anime now. Yeah. If you're like, my character leaps 20 feet across the, uh, the, the air and stabs his blade into the dragon, and now he's hanging as the dragon flies away, everyone's like, boo, anime shenanigans belongs in a video game. But when some when the when the wizard's like oh I shoot an ice beam into that dragon and then I stand on the ice beam and I'm flying along with the dragon everyone's like yay creative role playing <laughs> this is this is what D and D is all about uh, all right so worst thing John worst thing in fourth ed I I really want to take the uh, the monster math even though it's not in the PHB the well, you can take the player math, too. The fact that players are less accurate than they're supposed to be. No, because I didn't really mind that. Honestly, at that point, 
not having that accuracy meant you were, you know, you You're, hit 50-50 instead of like 60-40. The basic idea was that you had to flank more. That's probably why our games always ended up being conga lines. <laughs> eh. the, the thing I hated with the monster math is that really did almost turn me off of the addition was you'd sit down and fight something, and if you weren't fighting like one hit point minions or just some standard guys, you would sit there slugging it out with, you know, an elite or God help you a boss. The solo, yeah. The solos were terrible because you'd be like, this guy has 700 hit points. My daily hits for 35. Uh, I can't wait to stand here and just swing for 12 hit points worth of at will every turn for the rest of this game. Yeah, because before, you know, my favorite thing being the whole combos is you'd combo out and do some rad stuff and you might even like kill off a bunch of dudes great, this is rad, but here you're like, I comboed out and I did maybe 10% of this dude's hit points and I just, I don't, I don't have the patience for this. No, it's true. I mean, even if you got no other fix for the first player's hand, the first monster manual, just double double the damage the monsters do and cut their health in half. Yep. And, and that, just that alone is a huge benefit. And if their bloodied action is to regain some hit points, replace it with their bloodied oh, action <laughs> is to do some damage. Yeah, the... That is the big thing for me. It is what almost made me dislike this addition enough to be like, eh, because the first few combats we had were so sloggy mm -hmm. that I was like, all right, something needs to change here. And when it did, I was like, this is great. Fucking everything's wonderful now. Yeah. I love life. Yeah. No, so that's absolutely true. Uh, the worst thing for you? I'm going to say the sacred cows they left in the game for no good reason. Yeah. Uh, they, this this could have been the addition that killed off ability scores. It was so close to just doing it. It left a couple of prerequisites and feats that were like, you need to have a charisma of 17, or sorry, a dexterity of 17 to use this polearm trick. Uh, and that kind of thing, which those would also force multi-ability dependency on you, Yeah, which was not a good thing. Uh, they, they could have killed ability scores. They could have killed the alignment system down to just your characters or whatever alignment they are, and don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there are a number of other things that they could have just popped off and been done with in this edition that they didn't do uh, that I wish they had. Feats. I wish feats were just gone, or that you got like four of them. Yeah, I mean, again, that's something I think 5th edition tried to really fix was be like, no, feats are a thing that matter. Mm -hmm. You don't just get a shitload of them and they're all little fiddly bonuses. Like, it's an actual important change. I like that about fifth. But, yeah, the fourth feats were still just, here's a bunch of dumb nonsense. Yeah, and and I kind of, this isn't really a huge complaint, but I, I kind of wish that they had incorporated a little more tools for the DM uh, for when their monsters are getting wailed on or when they're, when they're planning movement for monsters. Because one of the things I remember about playing this game when we played it a lot was that uh, our DMs would always be really reticent about uh, provoking attacks of opportunity with the monsters. Like, even if the monster was a big, mindless, stupid thing. Like, it was, what's this? It's a golem. It moves right towards the nearest thing and punches it. But if there's a fighter in the way, it takes a five-foot step and then another five-foot step so it doesn't provoke that, t that attack of opportunity. And I was like, why? It's mindless. It doesn't know any better. Well, because if I let it get anywhere near the fighter, then this fight's going to be boring for me, the DM. <laughs> and and I, I wish that that had not had to be the case. That the fact that players were so prickly and so full of amazing attacks and defenses that it could leave the DM feeling like they had no choice but to be to play everything ultra carefully. Eh. It's a minor complaint. Really, I'm going to just say the Sacred Cows of 4th Edition were, were a problem that could have been fixed. There you go. All right. And uh, would you play 4th Edition? I want to play 4th Edition right goddamn now. <laughs> I mean, we've been getting our fix from Gamma World, which is close enough, but 
But yeah, fourth edition was good times, and it's very fixable. And if you know the right books to use, it could be a good game. So you would love to play it, wouldn't you? I would love. Would yeah. you? Uh, absolutely. I-, I wish I had the time to sit down for a nice game of fourth edition these days. Yeah. The time and the three other friends. <laughs> yep. Boy, I sure wish I had friends and time. <laughs> Mostly friends, though. I don't know where this is to go. I'm 38, and I have a kid. Where do I get friends now? I don't know. Friends can, who are- can you get those on the internet? Does Amazon deliver no. friends? Here's the problem with getting friends on the internet. They don't want you to play fourth edition. <laughs> I got them on the internet. Unfortunately, they are not compatible with 4th Ed. Unfortunately, they're of the internet, so... uh, (laughs) I found them on Reddit. When I mentioned 4th edition, they threw fire at me. (laughs) Where did they get fire? They lit things they had on fire. Literally, just anything they had. Yeah. Yeah. So, so no, I would totally love to play this game. Yep. And there you have it. That's 4th edition D&D. Boy, howdy, did we talk about this for a while. Sorry for the long-winded episode, but whatever. It's our anniversary. Not sorry. Fuck you. We do what we want here. (laughs) That's why we just released a half-hour review of Oreos yesterday. Yeah. Look, it's been five years. I don't care anymore. I'm doing whatever I want. We're going to do some stuff, you know? You want want a half-hour review of Oreos? Well, too fucking bad. You're getting it. (laughs) Wait. I do want it. Too fucking bad. You're getting it. No, but I want it, though. Yeah, well, fuck you, then. I don't understand why. I want the things you're offering me. <laughs> yeah, well, take them. Okay, I I will with my thanks and compliments. <laughs> uh, my thoughts and prayers. Anyway, thank you so much for your continued support. We've been able to do this for five years. At this point, it's become our actual for reals jobs. Yeah. And that is the craziest thing in the world. And we can't wait to show up at Gen Con and actually get to hang out and talk with people who make this possible for us. Yeah, Gen Con will be the actually the... For Reels' fifth anniversary is the beginning of August, so... Yeah, it'll be our first, anni- our first our five-year anniversary for Real, and we'll be doing our first live show. Yeah, that is... The beginning of August is when it happened, which is when Gen Con is, so we will be spending our fifth anniversary at Gen Con. That's right, and, and that live show still has some open tickets, so if you're going to be at Gen Con, uh, just look for System Mastery in their event finder and sign up for that. It's cheap. I think it's like two or four bucks or something. Yeah, if you want to show up... Please do. We, we of course, accept gift cards if you want to <laughs> congratulate us on the birthday. Mm-hmm. You know, give us some anniversary stuff. We are registered at Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> John needs just boxes and boxes of Top Ramen. <laughs> Battle plan. <laughs> Lisa needs braces. Uh, okay, so uh, otherwise, please support our Patreon. It's doing amazing, and we can't thank you enough for, for uh, supporting us in that way, but there's always more growth. I mean, I, I really should plan to eventually buy my my child other clothes so, <laughs> you know actual clothes so by all means uh support that patreon if you support us at the one and two dollar levels you unlock bonus shows yeah we are gonna make some fourth edition characters for you baby that's right we're gonna make real fourth edition characters do we think we need to limit ourselves to the php uh, or should we should we open it up and do whatever we want can i make an artificer you can make nothing oh i don't even get to make a character no you make not i make two characters <laughs> and you watch and i gotta describe one of them <laughs> here this is the character you do. All right, folks, listen up. This dumb piece of shit is poorly optimized and useless. <laughs> and his name is Big Dumb Jeff. Aw. <laughs> that was John's nickname in high school. <laughs> That's because I was the cool svelte Jeff and John was the big dumb Jeff. Yeah. It's weird because we didn't go to high school together or know each other. No, at all. <laughs> but I, people who made up nicknames knew. I never even knew a person named Jeff. <laughs> I knew three. <laughs> In seventh grade, I had to go by Jeff A L on my on my uh, name tag because there were three Jeffs in my school, in my grade, and one of them was another Jeff A. Oh, it, that is like the in story my of elementary school, where I had to go by David because there was a Jonathan, a John, and a Johnny in my class. 
<laughs> so I was like, fuck it, I'm David. The Jonathan had the same birthday as me, too. I was like, oh, oh that's rough. fuck you. The Jeff Armstrong at least didn't have the same birthday as me. But I did get chased out of a nickname in sixth grade. Because in fifth grade... <laughs> I tried to be T-Bone, and they were like, you can't, <laughs> you can't have be T-Bone. No, up until sixth grade, in, uh, all the way through fifth grade and through the first half of sixth, I was JJ. I actually was a, a regular JJ. Uh, people call me that all the time. Weird. When I moved into San Diego in, during sixth grade, there was a girl in my class named JJ. Huh. And there was so the gender had already claimed the name, which which meant you, you can sometimes get away with two Johns in a class, right? Yeah, you can't get away with two JJs if there's a boy one and a girl one, as it turns out. At least not in sixth grade. That's that's pretty much the, where the line in the sand is. <laughs> and so I had to be like, I'm JJ, and they're like, No, that's JJ. It's the girl. And I was like, Ah, I'm Jeff. <laughs> Fine. Fuck. And they were like, Well, that's Jeff. And I was like, Ah, god damn it. <laughs> All right, I'm Geoff. <laughs> I'm Geoff. No, he should have been Geoff. He was the G E O one. I'm Geoff. <laughs> Fuck that. Twice as many letters as is necessary. <laughs> so many letters. Too many letters to spell Jeff. Anyway, support our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Listen to our other fine shows, and until such time as we make yet another game, you have a nice week. Make a game. We don't yeah, make we, we Until we make more games. We've made at least three. Yeah, sure. And until we make another one, <laughs> no more content. <laughs> We're out. Have a good week. 